This episode of Watch Out for Fireballs is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. And I have a special request. Uh, if you have ever made a cover of a theme song for the network, would you please email an MP3 copy of that to Gary at duckfeed.tv? Um, I've been ripping them from YouTube. Don't know that the quality is the same. I would love just to have like a nice MP3 copy. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch episode for April 2020. Yeah. Welcome. Hey, hey it's April. Look at her. She's down here in the sewer with us toidles. Yeah. Yep. She's got a nerdy friend who's horny all the time. <laughs> she likes uh she, she likes the color purple and she likes the bow staff. Am I right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a robot cop at one point. Yeah. Who she wants to fuck. Hmm. Um, whereas April is very sexless. Yeah, no, she's real. Uh, she's married to her job is the thing. Yeah. She like like how the turtles are married to the sewer or pizza <laughs> or karate. Yes. So it's a, it's, yeah. it is an open relationship. The, tur- the turtles yeah. are in a polycule with karate. A, a, a poly <laughs> <laughs> <Poly> karate. <laughs> Polycularati. <laughs> That's a that's a community center closed down mm. reason if I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the the uh, episode once a month where we read your responses to uh, March's games. We take your questions and prompts from mm-hmm. Patreon, and we announce next month's games. Yes, um, and we can get started here. Um, oh boy, I started that and I didn't actually have a question I wanted to go to. So did you have one that you uh, wanted to start off with? I'll just, I'm just going to kind of go through the list. Okay. I'm, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, down with all this stuff right now. Um, the, uh, so Matthew Fox says, what are your opinions on min-maxing? Uh, especially when it's a secret requirement for certain games. Finding as I get older, I have precious little patience for games that punish some optimal builds and make progress impossible unless you're strictly adhering to a guide or build strategy. RPGs in the new or in the style of Diablo are especially bad about this. And whenever I have to start a new character, because it turns out my stats or abilities I was leveling were trash, it makes me feel a bit like the devs don't respect my time or commitment. Hmm. I mean, if there's no respec available, then it gets really, really annoying. Yeah. Like I think, I think respects are best practices. I think that there's, uh, for me and you know, this mileage may vary. Um, mm-hmm. when I had this impulse, a lot of the time I have not ruined a build. Mm-hmm. I have just done something that is suboptimal, but is actually totally viable. Yeah. And then it's up to kind of me how much it bugs me that that's the case. Yeah. Um, like there are definitely games that like what Matthew's talking about where you have to be at the absolute top of your game. Like there's gonna be a huge difficulty spike at the end of the game. But and if you didn't, uh, choose everything correctly, you're fucked. But like. You know, like if you take something like, like Fallout, uh, you know, just because you did not choose the correct perks, like you can get away with choosing like three or four 
suboptimal perks and cruise through the game just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of up to you how much it bugs you. So I think this can be a problem, but I think also it interfaces, like intersects with a gamer psychographic thing about not wanting anything to not be as good as it can. Yeah. And that, you know, separating those two things out can be kind of tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I also think that, you know, there's a real kind of variance here, depending on how much control you have over your party. If you have a party, um, <laughs> you know, because generally in a game with a party, if you fuck up your build, you do have people that will come along with you who can kind of shore that up. And if the game is taking more control over their growth, then, you know, the game is going to be less apt to put itself in a corner that way. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So it, it definitely like I don't like any kind of difficulty spike that is like you had to have not made a mistake six hours ago. Yeah. Or ten hours ago or twenty mm -hmm. hours ago. Like that and, kind of stuff bothers me. But unless it's an XCOM. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even then, like I don't yeah. think it's ideal. Right. You know, to, to fuck yourself <laughs> into a corner like that. No. No. But yeah. Um, I think I think a lot of these things. Like I think about um, because this this uh, coincides with rigor a lot, which is something I appreciate in games with with builds. Mm -hmm. Um. But, like, I got, you know, you can get through, like, my favorite games that have this kind of thing, like Divinity Original Sin 2 or something like that, and you can get through that with a suboptimal build. Like, you you have a limited number of mistakes you can make. Mm -hmm. You can't just go willy-nilly yeah. and just build randomly, but you can make some mistakes. And I think that's the, the sweet spot for me because I want to feel smart mm -hmm. and, and good when I make the right choices as well. Yeah. So, you know, just having everything, you know, everything work mm -hmm. is, is a little bit too lenient for me yeah. for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move us on here to Mark Marcus, who asks, uh, how much has multitasking affected gaming? Not in-game, but out of it. Like having little kid energy to marathon an RPG in the summer versus playing it with a podcast or music going on when you're going through a dungeon or random encounters. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I can only speak to this uh, personally for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I had I feel like I had my time with listening to a podcast and playing games but mm -hmm. as i've gotten older i am i have less time for podcast games and i'm not as interested in stuff that i don't focus on yeah like i will play a game on the exercise bike or what have you uh from time to time but i do not like playing a game that i think is boring and throwing out a podcast mm -hmm. like <clears throat> good podcast game has become a really damning thing for me personally yeah um you know and i'd rather just be engaged mm -hmm. fully yeah, uh, for me, any game is a podcast game. If you put a if you put a podcast on while you're playing it, and you just mm. you just ride that pause button. Um, so generally, I've not found that to be too deleterious, especially with subtitles and things like that. There will be you know long stretches of a game that I you know where I, where I turn the podcast off, um, especially if it is heavily audio um, focused, heavily audio intensive. Um, but yeah, I I don't find that it that it hurts at all. Um, and I don't find that it's like necessary to engage in stuff. It's just, I like listening to podcasts or audiobooks generally. Um, mm. you know, as far as like, mul like multitasking and stuff goes, like the thing that will harm me is having a phone with Twitter on it nearby or having a phone yeah. with like news alerts and things like that. Like anything that draws, that draws exclusive visual focus for me is going to be a real problem and actually slow things down. Yeah, I, I tend to put my phone in the other room. Yeah, yeah. Like when I'm when I'm sitting down to uh, to game. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, 
Yeah. So, but then I, I've not always been that way. I used to always listen to music or podcasts while playing video games. It's mm-hmm. like it's a relatively new thing. I yeah. Like yeah. it. So I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on here uh, to Mark Mahler, different Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from Final Fantasy Tactics and XCOM, one of your favorite strategy slash tactics RPGs, I just did another run through XCOM after listening to the episode and XCOM 2 right after, and now I'm jonesing for another hit. Uh, love the episode, by the way. One of my favorite parts of WAF is playing along with the show or getting excited to revisit a game after hearing you both do a deep dive on it. Honestly, one of the things I most look forward to lately. Thank you. Thank you, nice. Mark. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be more um, of a you thing because Final Fantasy Tactics and XCOMs pretty much describe my entire... Not my entire experience with this, but like th- those dominate it so much that it's hard to think of another one that I would give a full throated endorsement to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I you know we did we did Dragonfall. I think the new Shadowrun games yep. uh, fall under this category. One hundred percent worth your time and very good. Um, Divinity Original Sin Two is essentially a tactics game. Yeah, um, and is phenomenal. And then also uh, something that I would like to get on the show at some point. We don't know when it would fit in the schedule, but like I've really been jonesing for a uh, StarCraft II replay, mm. um, which is not tactics. That's that's real time strategy, but that campaign is extremely fun and varied and like yeah. joyous. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the rigor of Final Fantasy Tactics or uh, XCOM, but it does have uh, a little bit of that kind of iterative flavor of like building a strategy and then restarting. Yeah, kind of thing. That I think is very fun. Mm-hmm. One that I've had very good experiences with in the past, but I don't know that I would have the patience for today, uh, is the original Disgaea. I've never really messed mm. with any of the like later ones, um, but the system there with the different colored tiles on the map and the way that those amplify each other and stuff is actually really interesting to me. Um, no, it, yeah. that game is like a real example of like a great system with the worst flavor. That's the thing, yeah. That I think a video game can have. <laughs> It's so horrible. Like, it's all titty demons. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's so bad. And they made so many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. So that, 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 yeah. That, that is the part that I think would try my patience, you know, because I don't want to, again, full-throated endorsement. I don't want to say, hey, go play this actually really interesting statistics and tactics-driven game, but try to ignore, like, the story parts or whenever anybody yeah. talks or whenever you see images on the screen. <laughs> yeah. As long as, as long as there's no words or images, it's good. Yep. Like play this in an Excel spreadsheet. And it's good. The uh, yeah, yeah the, I I like the first one of those quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, as well, uh, Into the Breach. Oh yeah, shit. That. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good, that's a great like little bite size version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really good. And then like also you know just um, same kind of thing, but like Slay the Spire is basically a strategy game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a deck builder, it's a roguelike, but it is about strategy, yeah. um, you know, turn-based strategy. So it might hit some of those, um, those same bits mm-hmm. for you, even though it's not, you know, unit tactics. And then obviously like, uh, tactics ogre, uh, let us cling together. Um, gene dark is fun Oh yeah, oh. and good. <laughs> you know, there, there's other ones that are you, just ex- explicit. You said good, you said good things about the, uh, the, the launch, the, the, the launch period, um, 3DS oh, yeah, game, Ghost Recon. the Ghost Recon, uh, strategy game. Yeah. Yeah. That's that game is good as well. Yeah. And you can get it on 3DS and it shows up on sale all the time mm-hmm. on the eShop. Yeah. So yeah, all good games. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a, it, it is a wide and diverse genre. 
Um, let me see here. Mark has another question. I'm just going to do it because I think this will be quick. Um, have either of you tried the Baldur's Gate Switch versions? And do you have any thoughts about old PC games hitting the Switch with new control schemes? Seems like the more modern version of the Scum games getting remastered for Vita, etc. a few years ago, which I was pretty high on too. Any old PC games you think should or should not make the jump to handheld? Uh, for example, would OG Deus Ex for Switch be a thing worth doing? Uh, yeah. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Um, you could, yeah, you could, you could easily do that. It would take a lot of adaptation, mm -hmm. you know, but they did a uh, human revolution for Wii U, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a streamlined version of it. It would take additional streamlining. Like it would have to be like a new remastered version, yeah. but that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is also like up until I feel like this console generation, there was a huge dearth of like PC like experiences mm -hmm. on consoles. Yeah. You know, like, pre DS or even you know, post DS, like up until really the switch, I was like, you know, I would search for like, I would like to play a Western RPG mm -hmm. on, on a portable system. And they'd be like, how about Sonic the dark brotherhood? <laughs> and I'm like, no! well, go fuck yourself because, uh, that's not what I meant. And you fucking knew it. You know? <laughs> stupid Google. Um, <laughs> that's your problem. You use stupid Google. You didn't use regular I know. Google. <laughs> use smart dog pile <laughs> the chad dog pile to the virgin google um to the galaxy brain web crawler <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh i have played a little bit of icewind dale mm -hmm. on the uh the switch uh but not a whole lot because it doesn't have auto saves oh shit so i made all of my guys uh and then something happened like i put it to sleep and i ran out of power uh, and i had to start character creation over again uh, and i just have not gone back to it yeah. so it's on the list. I'm looking forward to going back mm -hmm. to it, but I've not played it. Um, but I've heard things that, you know, it's manageable. It's like uh, any of those things where it's not the ideal way to play it, mm -hmm. but like, hey, you get to play it. Yeah. You know, real good ass game. So like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Jala has played, um, uh, oh gosh, Icewind Dale on her Switch and has had fun with it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, people have said good things about the uh, Divinity Original Sin adaptation. Uh, which isn't mm -hmm. like a classic update, but it's just a modern ass game that they decided to put on there. Yeah. You know, I don't think that there's any reason not to do it. I don't think you're going to ruin anything by bringing something to portable. So giddy up, no. giddy up, try it. You know, the, wor yeah, the worst giddy, you can do. The, fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> the worst you can do is like not adapt the control scheme, but I don't think you're going to do that. So we, we've mostly figured that stuff out. Yeah. You know, like overhead point and click stuff is. You know, if it's if it's the pace that like an old Infinity Engine game is, mm -hmm. like it can be done. Yeah, like uh, something that requires like huge numbers of clicks per minute is still pretty difficult. Probably not going to see like Starcraft like, on there. Yeah, yeah, that might be t tricky, but you could still maybe do mm -hmm. it. And then like you look at like first person shooters, and we basically master the controller mm -hmm. first person shooter. Like those ports of Doom that came out that had like all those issues. Those issues weren't really with the controls, at least not in my experience. Like right. I fired up Doom Two on my Switch and played it, and it was fun. Yeah. You know, same, same. Yeah, they were on a huge sale around the time uh, Doom Eternal came out. So I got, I have like Doom one through three sixty four. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's I really stuff. need to get Doom sixty four. Yeah. Uh, I've never played that. It's like the only Doom game I haven't played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so. I fucked around with it. It's good. Yeah, people keep saying so. It's like the lost Doom game. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, it picks up. It, it kind of picks up like uh, with a kind of play that assumes you have just finished Doom two, which is weird. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was kind of the style at the time. Yep. It's it like a weird, weird way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, Adam asks, 
the best secret feature of the PS4 is the ability to plug headphones into the controller. Is there any other small feature that you guys love or something you hope future consoles will include? Bring back the octagonal surround. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, why would you get rid? Why would you not have an octagonal surround? Nintendo, you had it and then you took it away. Yeah, I, I can only think of things that I want to have back that used to be around. Yes. Like not innovations. Like I really wish my PS4 had a clear off on button and a reset button. Mm-hmm. Instead of this weird sleek, like <laughs> you have to feel the side of the pyramid to find the secret door yeah. section it's to turn a, it's it on. It's a puzzle from those the room iOS games. Yeah, it, that's dumb as hell. Uh-huh. Like when you try to make one of these things look futuristic, you just look like a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't last. Yeah, make it. You know? so, like, make it look like the fucking yeah. Atari VCS. Okay. Just exactly just make it dorky with wood panels and with a bunch of switches that you can see when they are on or off. Like buttons are good. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason why action games on iOS, like, you know, when you port like Mega Man 2 mm-hmm. to iOS, everyone hates it. Yeah. And it's because buttons are good. Yep. It's very clear to know when they're pushed in or out. <laughs> uh, you know, they have a big advantage. So like, yeah. So there's stuff like that I really want back. Mm hmm. But I've, I have never used the uh, headphones in the controller. I I can see why that's a, a good idea. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a good it's a good thing for like voice chat and stuff. But because neither of us really mm-hmm. play things online, like the only time I used it was when Jeremy was helping me out with uh, with Chalice Dungeons, um, mm. you know, and Bloodborne. I could see that, or I could see uh, you know somebody sleeping. Yes, yeah. you know, in the other room, and like so. Yeah, I think that's a cool feature, but. Most of the things I just want a console to be a box I turn on and off and then can reset. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's a little ease of use features like that I tend to not get much use out of. Same. Oh. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm going to do this one from Dustin. Uh, a friend and I have recently been replaying Final Fantasy VII in preparation for the upcoming remake, and both of us have rediscovered just how bonkers and funny that game actually is. We are fawning over it more now more now that we are old enough to appreciate the weirder moments. It seems like everyone remembers Aerith's death or Sephiroth walking through the flames, but we rarely mention the fact that you jump off of a dolphin, that Yuffie gets a part-time job, or that you uh, have to do squats in the, at the Choaniki gym. <laughs> Seeing these offbeat moments again has really endeared the game to me, uh, now in a way that it didn't when I was younger. Uh, it has made me realize uh, that such delightful discovery is one of my favorite experiences I can have in relation to media. Uh, do you guys have a particular game or other piece of media that you have found you enjoy more or perhaps just differently upon revisiting uh, than you ever remembered when you first experienced it? Um, yeah, like that. that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the, the best thing that can happen from the show. You know, doing, you know, we talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. everything. And there, there are lots of things that either I liked and then I like way more because we revisited or I, you know, so things like Resident Evil three and four, mm-hmm. you know, which I enjoyed, but like, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Know. Like they, what, you know, they nailed it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, one of these is just like a very good classic Resident Evil game. The other one is an all time absolute banger, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah. And a lot of times it is little details. Uh, that I notice, um, not at times, you know, not so much like Final Fantasy seven style, like the plot goes everywhere yeah, kind yeah. of things, but like, you know, we did uh half-life two and it's like, Oh, like every time I'm almost out of ammo, I find some, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. That feels good. Yeah. Getting a little bit more, um, having seen more games, um, and learning a little bit more just by osmosis about game design really 
getting to appreciate kind of the invisible aspects of it is something that mm-hmm. has that has changed um, my enjoyment of some games, and I think more often than not, actually diminished my enjoyment of things that I used to that, that I used to really love because you can see oh, yeah. kind of the places where the ends don't quite meet. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, I am very curious. Like, I when we re- revisited Final Fantasy VII, like I was into it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. No, I was not going to like it more than I liked it in you know nineteen ninety seven or whatever. Yeah, it's like you know the go- you the know? golden age of playing Final Fantasy VII is how old you were when Final Fantasy VII came out. Yeah, your favorite Final Fantasy VII reveals something about you, and that's uh, how old you were <laughs> when you first played it. Your favorite you know, Final the- Fantasy VII. Your favorite Final Fantasy, rather. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, oh, you were 13 to 14. Mm-hmm. You know, cool. Just like comics. Uh, like, that's true for a lot of media that we ex- love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so something like that, like, those little funny touches and stuff, I did appreciate more during, you know, during that, that playthrough. But, like, you know, at the time, it was just this weird. I think that, for me, nothing is higher than, like, like, there's, like, different categories of how good something can be. The second highest one is, oh, like you can't even, you know, unassailable. Mm-hmm. And that's where Final Fantasy VII was for me because I was like, you know, love Final Fantasy VI and it was this brand new thing. Mm-hmm. And then the secret S rank thing is like where Resident Evil 4 is, where it's like, yeah, this was amazing when it came out and it gets better the more you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, that's a really great feeling. Yeah. So. Um, something that has been like specific for me um, is that, you know, uh, as I've gotten more into music in general, you know, both you're just like playing it and just kind of appreciating it. There are older games that I've gone back to and it's like, you know what? I never noticed that the soundtrack in this was actually really, really good. But now yeah. I have now I have the ears to hear it. Like that's something that I like. I always knew that the soundtrack to Breath of Fire 3 was special. But like doing that streaming series on it is like, yeah, this soundtrack is like 100 percent bangers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that that's a good that's a good feeling to you. So that so yes is the answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the long answer to that. Yeah. Um, Dan says, uh, any current theming style or period of game that you're really into at the moment? For me, I'm down a rabbit hole of 80s nostalgia uh, and synthwave, so I'm way into the Far Cry, Blood Dragon, etc. Um, additionally, on the Whipfest YouTube series, Gary is at Levi who says Whipfest at the end of the intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is my friend John Wolf, uh, old friend from Illinois who is in the band scene who I miss very yes. much. Um, what is the next are good right now? I mean, uh, we're, 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 we're both pretty clearly into like early PS one stuff with the, uh, the Kingsfield kind of thing. Uh, yeah. the Kingsfield aesthetic, the, uh, the dusk aesthetic. I mean, somebody else has a question that's really similar to that. Let me, uh, let me pull it up. Um, yeah, so this is from the lightning round, but John, she, she, she asked any particular visual style that you'd like to see in games. I've enjoyed the return to the late nineties eras of games for uh, games like dusk and haunted PS one demo disc, for example. Like, yeah, like that is, that is probably currently my jam of things that I appreciate. Like mm-hmm. I, I bought like a bundle of low poly models off of humble just so I could like look through, look at them, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like literally just a, just a bucket of assets. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> the uh it's it's a weird thing for me because i'm also i feel that completely with with kingsfield uh-huh. and environments and stuff i don't feel like i still resist the main character or like avatars looking good mm. in in that kind of thing like i love it in kingsfield because of monsters and hallways yeah but even you know? the people in kingsfield are like faceless and weird in a very mm. good and charming way well, but I, I like that more than i like the resident evil or final fantasy 7 
faceless mm. people. Like there's a lack of detail I think is really good. Yeah, yeah. So like I guess it like I agree with you. It's just like earlier PS1. Yeah, right, right. Like get real early because like once you mm-hmm. get to Brave Fencer Musashi levels of detail, mm-hmm. like once their hair is more than one piece of, of thing, <laughs> I'm like less into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, like, but I love I, the draw distance. I love the, and I love monsters in that, that mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, as far as like eras or, or things like that, that, you know, I like seeing or that, that I'm, you know, interested in, mm-hmm. um, that has not changed for me that much, even though doing, uh, or playing the coin game, um, has, you know, and thief simulator, which mm-hmm. we, you know, we talked about last year has made me feel really, you know, warm towards modern, realistically proportioned towns, like small yeah. towns mm-hmm. as a, as a setting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, still suffering, uh, ancient Japan fatigue. So I'm, yeah. I'm good without that right it's now. It's pr- pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's very big right now. And I just don't have any interest in uh, pagoda roofs and villages yep. right mm-hmm. now. It just doesn't look cool to me. There's nothing behind that. There's nothing more to it. Like there are still good games that do that kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. have that era. Yeah. But like, speaking of old PS1, like I would love to do Tenchu at some point. I love the way that the, you know, the atmosphere of that game. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, kind of over it as a setting. Yeah. I can see that um let's see here billy writes have you played or are you interested in playing pathfinder kingmaker not necessarily for waf but just in general i recently picked it up on sale and have been loving it the 3.5 pathfinder system makes for very interesting tactical and character building considerations and it definitely seems like it would be up gary's alley also, I started playing a Dark Souls randomizer after hearing your sales pitch, and it has been a blast. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm happy you took the plunge. Yeah, absolutely. More people doing randomizer. Mm-hmm. I'm way into it. Yeah. Um, I played a couple hours of Kingmaker and ended up kind of falling off, uh, not because of any mechanical thing, um, but because I was just kind of not feeling the writing. Yeah. Uh, in it. It's like it's very adventuresome mm. and kind of bright. And not very dramatic feeling. Right. So it's on my like big pile of stuff to get to eventually. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I it's very I haven't, haven't touched it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is cool because that kind of fell out of style, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. But it feels very Baldur's Gate to me. Yeah. You can kind of tell just by looking at it, like exactly who it is made for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jack says. Uh, I recently finished or listened to the Fallout 3 episode uh, and inspired this question. What are your personal ideals for what food should be in video games mechanically? Are you intrigued by hunger mechanics? Should food even be commonly used as a healing item? Should it have some good, albeit minor, storytelling purposes as it does in Dishonored, where it communicates class dynamics? Um, I like food in games. Like a, a hunger mechanic that is out of place is dumb and not very good. Yeah, But... Um, I, I'm generally down with it as like world building, you know? Yeah. I, or, I like it as world building, like seeing food around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, see anytime we've ever fawned over a dining room table covered in rotten food. Yes. You know, an abandoned yeah, meal. Tells a lot, you know, yeah. which I, which I like. And then I like food. Um, like the, the, there's a kind of like fetishization of cooking kind of thing that I'm, I'm less into like a final mm-hmm. fantasy 15 breath of the wild kind of thing and i like it more when it's mechanical like mm-hmm. the thing i liked about cooking in breath of the wild was getting certain kinds of stat boosts 
yeah, yeah. from it. I didn't like watching the animation to make like pretty <laughs> food that I would want to eat. Right, that has right. no appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no fantasizing about food, right? Uh, for me, yeah. Um, but I, I always get a laugh out of like you know Omni Grufflin hot dogs <laughs> out of the garbage and shit. I think I think that's that's real funny. Yeah, yeah. Or just when it when it, when it results in uh, like something from Legend of Grimrock too. Where you fight after the end of the like major boss fight, uh, the entire rooftop of the castle is just covered in stakes because it killed a bunch of the wargs that it sent after you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just ton- or or like you know the the desert battle where it's like we we fought for three days. <laughs> like it was just you know we, we had many meals over the course yeah, of this battle. It was like a Roman era siege. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's that's real fun. So yeah, I'm in, into it. I think like a really strict like starvation meter kind of thing can be obnoxious. Yeah, but. But even like the way that it works in like uh, like Snake Eater, right, where you're foraging and you have to like find the right things in order to uh, mm-hmm. keep your endurance meter up, and the way mm-hmm. like endurance plays with health and that is really interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's it, a good example. Yeah, of, it, of it just has to be used right. Agreed. Yeah. We like it when it's good and dislike <laughs> it when it's bad. Yeah, that's what it boils down to a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Let's see. Here. Is this one me? Uh, this is you. Yes. Uh, Beatrice writes, I finally beat getting over it a few days ago, weirdly satisfying and a supremely unfun experience that happened to be coincident with my reading manifesto edited by Marianne Cross. I was struck by the fact that rarely in video games are there quote movements formalized in the same ways that we find in other media, say 12 tone composition in classical music or Dada in painting. Um, Bennett Foddy seems to advocate for such a movement with his disposition for bitterness. And I was wondering if you think other games or design, uh, if you think that other games or designers proposition similar such theories or artistic ideals in their work. If not, why don't games have these formalizations so prevalent in other mediums? That, that is a, a very good question. Yeah. Uh, that I, I'm not totally sure I'm equipped to answer. Like it yeah. feels like a, a big answer. Like mm-hmm. I, would take some some not extemporaneous podcasting yeah, it, and some like real reading. Yeah, it would, it, I mean, it's a very academic questions, and it, and it would take more research to answer with confidence to answer mm-hmm. in detail with confidence. I think that um, with you know my gut answer on this, and this is going to be overly broad, is that because games can have such a wide gamut between them, that like genre actually you know affects the way you interact with it as opposed to just what it is trying to get across to you. I think that that very wide array of possibilities kind of stops people from going to the same particular well that, and because there's, you know, I mean, outside of the indie space and outside of a couple of particular, um, you know, big studio creators, there's not really an auteur theory where somebody can bring to bear an entire, uh, idea across their body of work and oftentimes what we get is defined by market forces more than anything else i think that that also kind of exerts a pressure towards you know having fewer things that would be categorized the way that you see them there well it's also i think like there's there's something in there again not a complete answer or and speaking too broadly but like there's something in there about focus as well yeah where like because of the length of the medium and because uh that that focus on genre and interactivity mm-hmm. um you have things like uh getting over it or the beginner's guide yeah 
which are can be about a thing and have this kind of that kind of focus because it is limited in scope. Mm-hmm. But when you try to expand that to what is traditionally sold as a game, yeah, you end up with things that can have a point, but they end up being like all over the place. Yeah, right. Yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a, a Death Stranding hater, but also like I'll admit that game is about things mm-hmm. like it has a point it wants to say something it just wants to say a lot of things in a bunch of extremely messy ways over the course of 80 hours mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have that feeling to me of uh like single singularness mm-hmm. like singular intentionality that you can do with a beginner's guide or getting over it yeah you know something that is uh you know, a, a, a minute, a bite, like something mm-hmm. that is more tends to be more associated with mediums that are, you know, not only not only not interactive, but also tend to be shorter. Yeah. Uh, you know, like adding filler to something to make it a video game is a really good way to lose focus and lose message. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can take like when people talk about um, what Final Fantasy seven is like about. Mm-hmm. Right. Um I can buy that it's about those themes, but in between all of those things, there's just endless tappa 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 fights. And the new one, there's endless, you know, character action fights. Mm-hmm. Like there's always going to be padding that interrupts theme. Like there's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a delicious steak. And then you just add like a whole lot of rice <laughs> to it to make it to feed a lot of people. Stop describing you know, my dinners. <laughs> I, it's, it's my dinners too, man. Like yeah. I, I'm with you, but it's just, it's a weird thing where I think that that's a big part of video games. Like them having to act as this all encompassing long experience mm-hmm. uh, kind of interrupts this and kind of mm-hmm. disrupts it a little bit as a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So it's something that you're going to find, I think, in indie spaces. When I think about this, I think about like Jason Rohrer stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like Passage is, um, you know, has that focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You so. know, whereas in music, you've got a, a a song and in painting, you have a painting and it can be iterated upon or it can be different views of that same theme as opposed to a longer experience that, it, again, yeah. has to be padded out because of market forces. People are not going to pay a lot of money for something short. Yes. Yeah. The structure is a lot easier, yeah. I think, to adapt to those things. And then part of it is also just time. Mm-hmm. Those me- those mediums being around. Yeah, you know, this is an old canard, but like those those different mediums being around for so long have mm-hmm. given them time to develop into that. So like games could still get there. Yeah. Yeah. Young medium. Mm-hmm. Um, do the last game question and pitch you a softball goal. Okay. Uh, Eric <laughs> says, outside of the Resident Evil and Silent Hill series, what are the best classic PS2 and prior survival horror games um i'd say that i'm a fan of the genre but almost all my affection is confined to those two series uh are there any unqualified or nearly unqualified recommendations that i'm missing out on yeah um so there are a lot of low cards in the deck um that is something that i think makes the uh that makes the genre you know more interesting um (laughs) you know because when you step outside of the big the the the, the big series are you know resident evil and silent hill you you end up finding something really weird where somebody where somebody swung for the fucking fences um Mm -hmm. and completely whiffed it so like i think my favorite uh non-silent hill or resident evil ps2 game is something like rule of rose which Make no mistake, is not very fun to play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like there are interesting things about it mechanically, like exploration, exploration wise. But the you know the combat itself, much like a bunch of other things in the uh, in the genre, is very frustrating, especially uh, kind of later on. But I think that that is am you know ambitious 
in the story and weird and off-putting in the story in a way that like nothing before it really approached being Mm -hmm. um and that is in kind of the classic the classic mode of um of survival horror games you know third person you know semi-fixed camera angles where it will follow you uh, uh you know at certain times uh things like that um so that would be like the biggest one there like running earlier on in the ps2 era um again you know more low cards but something like parasite eve 2 ends up being a really interesting resident evil alike um mm-hmm. if you can kind of get down with some of the more long-winded writing and stuff like that um and even going further like i don't know there are, there are not very many like um there are not very many hurdles you have to get over for the original alone in the dark to be really playable and very enjoyable especially if you like cthulhu mythos stuff hmm. so those would be my recommendations rule of rose is hard to get a hold of it's like 400 dollars now i don't know how it emulates but yeah that's my answer yeah there we go yeah i, I would imagine i was expecting something like echo knight to be on there oh yeah fuck like man echo knight yeah there's, <laughs> i was there's probably stuff that's like less horrendous to play that's also a classic yeah yeah no echo knight is amazing echo knight uh so basically i was just thinking of like like third person ones now echo knight and uh specifically um echo knight beyond are both really really good um and again not going to be very uh harangus to play uh to use your word on that and that crosses both ps1 and uh ps uh, uh ps2 mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh Shall we move on to life questions? We shall. We shall. And this is you. This is me. Rodrigo asks, I haven't played almost anything in 2020. A couple of hours of Darkest Dungeon, a few hours of Doom 2016, um, and 75 hours of Binding of Isaac while listening to Guppy. Uh, I've I've struggled with depression since I was a teenager, and from time to time I have months in which I cannot play games, read books, or watch movies. I spend most of my time uh, watching other people playing games on YouTube. Thanks for the Darkest Dungeons and from software content, Gary and Cole. Um, At the end of the day, I end up feeling really bad and guilty for having, quote, wasted my time not doing anything, quote, productive or that would, quote, enrich me. Uh, Do you have similar phases? If so, how do you handle them? This will eventually pass, and I hope that Doom Eternal or Final Fantasy VII Remake pump my gears and create a momentum for me to go back to playing stuff. Um, and there's a second question here that I'll put in after we uh, after we answer the first here. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I live that phase mm-hmm. most times. Yeah. Um, you know, I live in a perpetual state of, like, starting a new TV show is too much work. Mm-hmm. Like, I still haven't watched Butter Call Saul because it just is off-putting to get to know new characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I should do a re- rewatch of Breaking Bad first. And then you get paralyzed. And I also end up watching a lot of YouTubes or just browsing Twitter and throwing away my day. Yeah. Um, for me, the only thing that happens, and, and you could have a different uh, strategy for this, Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, this is a sine wave mm-hmm. that comes and goes. Yeah. Um, and my... For like maybe the last ten years, that's 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 longer, like like five years mm-hmm. since I've kind of come to peace with it. My strategy has been ride the wave. Like if I don't feel like I can do anything, mm-hmm. I know that even if I force myself to sit down and start a game, um, I won't be able to focus on it. Um, so I'm like, yeah, this is like two weeks in which I'm gonna 
watch YouTube before bed, play video games. I know, um, you know, still do work, mm-hmm. you know, but just not do anything, you know, not read any new books. And then something happens and I'm lying in bed and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to start that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I want to, and then it's good. Yeah. Uh, but I have, I have no strategy for it. It just, for me, it just comes and goes and that's depression, baby. Uh, and and yeah. it's, uh, you know, you know, it's 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 weather, right? It is mental yeah. and emotional weather. You know, some days yeah. you have energy, and you know, energy does not spend the same way in every place where you can spend it. You know, it is a, yeah. it is a, it is a variable currency. Yeah, that's that, that's the case for me too. And for you know, for me, the thing where it becomes you know worrisome. First off, if you can think to be worried about it, you're probably self-aware enough to be fine. Hmm. Um, but, you know, when it becomes worrisome is like, okay, am I actually engaging in behaviors that are perpetuating this? Like, have I not gone outside? Uh, is there something around the house that I could take care of? You know, things like that. Hmm. Just Those are just regular coping strategies that you, you hear everywhere, and I'm not qualified to give more detailed ones, but... When it comes specifically to games or whatever, I do exactly what you do, Gary. It is a sine wave. It ends up being, you know, you want to follow your energy. You want to do what you're going to get the most, you know, benefit out of. You're not going to gain anything by forcing yourself to play a game that you're not going to like. Um, you know, you know, especially or that you're, you know, situationally not going to like. Because I can tell you, I have started new games out of a feeling of you know, like obligation that I should start a new game. And what happens is I'm like, uh, I suck. This sucks. Everything sucks. And then I put it down after about two hours. And then guess what? About a week later when I think, you know what? I actually feel like I have the energy for that. You sit down and like, Oh yeah, I wasn't paying attention when I did that first two hours. I'm going to have to do the first two hours again. Well, shit, yeah. that game's just lost to me forever. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. you just do the two hours again and you're okay. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, like it's either or, but like the, the forcing the, the square peg into the round hole doesn't usually work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I would say during plague times, uh, be especially kind to yourself about this kind of shit. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's kind of two arguments that have been going on online of the like, use this time to become a Superman or do whatever you want. And I, this is the nation is in an airport and I've talked about airport rules for me, yeah. which is anything Gary wants, Gary gets. <laughs> uh, and that is basically how I have been living this. Like I've not been, you know, eating nonstop trash, mm-hmm. uh, by any means I have not, you know, I've kept up on, on some moderate exercise and stuff. I haven't been just rolling around and making garbage angels in the ground, <laughs> but I'm also, this is not the time when we mad at myself for not writing more songs. Like, yeah, why? Like I cannot imagine, uh, and it, it happens against people's will. Like I'm not calling anybody out for this, but like, don't do anything to make yourself more mad at yourself right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're okay. Like yeah. we're living, you're getting through it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you've done it. Like yep. if you're, if you're keeping everyone else safe, mm-hmm. if you're being safe, yeah. um, you're doing the best you can, you're fucking a plus in it and yeah. don't let anyone tell you different. Yeah. You know, you're going to be in two situations. Either you are, you know, locked down uh, because you are fortunate enough to have a job where you can work from home or you are unfortunate that you were considered unessential and laid off, Um, you know, and in that case, you are suffering trauma uh, because the entire world is suffering a kind of trauma right now and you need to take care of yourself. Um, Additionally, uh, if you are out in the world, if you are working an essential job, 
uh, that you're absolutely not getting paid enough for and you are interacting with people, there is a new element of danger uh, that is also traumatic <laughs> and mm-hmm. will introduce another kind of fatigue. And when you get home with your uh, you know, free time, you should not uh, simultaneously cudgel or flagellate yourself because you're not enjoying things in the right amount or in the right way. Uh take care of yourself i think is the is 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 the is the order of the uh, of the year pretty much yeah so I, I i i was thinking about that a lot with the uh, with the quarantine and like in a gentler better world mm-hmm. this would be like a national you know not necessarily a year mm-hmm. but like instead of you know being the 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 protest and all the discourse about reopening and all yeah. that jazz like yeah. if this was just like Hey, take some time, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if we, if we had a reasonable, like, you know, money machine go burr um, <laughs> for, for, for a little while and we had a rent freeze, mm-hmm. this could have been actually ended up being something that was pretty good for people who were not directly affected. Yeah. And it would have been so easier to have fewer people mm-hmm. directly affected. And like, there could have been not to bright side it, but like, there could have been a part of this that was not as tragic yeah. as it ended up being. Yeah. You know, like the idea of a period of time in which everyone is like, or not everyone, a lot of people are kind of forced to take it easy. And Mm -hmm. if they follow that advice of like, hey, if you feel like watching Simpsons reruns, watch some fucking Simpsons reruns. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is a valuable idea. Mm hmm. You know, and again, yeah. I'm not, I understand that it comes from immense privilege. I'm not, I know nurses are they're working all the time and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically, if it applied to everyone and, just a version of it that is good, even if it doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. You know, so. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, but the capitalism but machine needed blood. So, yeah, so we got $1,200 instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, landlords are uh, contacting the IRS under tenants, social security numbers to see if they've gotten their payment yet. God, I so want, I, I want that. I want that story to be, to be followed. I want to yeah, see yeah. that person get thrown in fucking jail. That landlord yeah. specifically, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a bad fucking, landlord. Fucking ghastly. Call call me crazy, but I don't think you should be able to make a living after off uh, of having bought some property. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like, there's that onion thing where it's like, pandemic cuts landlords' work hours from one hour to zero, <laughs> zero, and it's so fucking true. Like, it, it's yeah. not. You know, I keep seeing these impassioned things about how landlords how hard they work, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, this is not my first time around the block, man. Yeah. Like, I, I've rented houses. Or rented places for twenty plus years. Mm-hmm. At this point, I know what landlords do. You yeah. can't actually fool me with this shit. And, and I know, I know you're, you know, you personally are renting from a from a from a mom and pop, and you know, it's their retirement income, and they come to you. No, we're talking about it systemically. Your anecdote does not override yeah. the systemic. It, the systemic. It is possible that there's like one or two super landlords. Hashtag not all landlords. Cunts. Yeah, some of them are going around like fixing every problem and are working 40 hours a week owning a thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but uh, I think that pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Statistically insignificant Mm -hmm. as a thing. Yeah. So (laughs) Um, second, what's the second part of this question? Uh, The second part of this question, if I can sneak in a less sad question here, uh, what kind of tabletop RPG do you both enjoy besides the ones covered in MIMP? Are you into crunchy math games or more rules light narrative games in the vein of what the new school of small press RPGs are going? I don't really Um, play tabletop RPGs. I just read source books. So I'm going to leave this to you, Gary. 
answered this uh, a couple times before, but I'm always happy to answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a balance personally. I like both. I think that like the you know rules light Uber Alas kind of thing is a little bit annoying to me because I like rules. I mm-hmm. like tactics. Um, so uh, I do like Dungeon World, which is the most popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of those. I think that is fun. Um, it has a little bit of like character build crunch to it. And then yeah. my favorite crunchy game is called Iron Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have played a few other ones recently. We've been demoing systems and I haven't found something that takes the cake on either of those. Right. Kind of metrics. Yeah. Like we play things that have been fun. Like we played uh, like Frag to turn him. Okay. As a name. Uh, and that's fun. Like it's a good system and stuff, but I don't like it as much as Iron Kingdoms. Yeah. You know, like it's still good. It's mm-hmm. not as good. Yeah. yeah. So those those are the two that are my favorite. But mm-hmm. I've been trying a lot of things, just nothing worth telling anybody else about because it yeah. hasn't been phenomenal. Yeah. Back in the day when I played, by which I mean in high school, pretty much everything we did was like three, three, third edition, 3.5, um, and then just a smattering of just, you know, blank, blank, D20 kind of stuff, D20 yeah. modern, um, Star Wars, D20, things like that. So Can I make a, a recommendation to you, Cole? Yes. I know recommendations are bad, but we both like uh, reference books and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, since Powell is having a hard time, okay, uh, yeah, they put out a call for people to buy things online, and I bought the two first two volumes of something that I've been trying, I've been looking at for forever, and just never took the plunge on. Okay, which is a series of books called Designers and Dragons. Ooh, uh, that is decade by decade history of tabletop role playing. Hmm. Um, that go through all of the different games and companies and kind of stories behind them. Okay, give you a brief description. So I'm reading the uh, 70s one right now, which is all history of TSR stuff. But then they're going to talk about like the founding of Chaosium and, or Chaosium and all the, the shit. And then I have an 80s one that's going to have Cyberpunk and Shadowrun and yeah. all that jazz. Um, they're really cool. They're well-written, mm-hmm. uh, really interesting. And they have that, that reference book like magazine appeal. Yeah, lots read, of, like, and read an entry. And, yeah. yeah, read an entry. Lots of like pull boxes and appendixes and stuff like mm-hmm. it. It's not, it's very wet. You know, it's not a dry tome. Yeah. Um, it's currently out of stock on their, um, on, on Powell's website, but I will keep an eye out. They are cool. I have to get the uh, third and fourth volume. Mm-hmm. The reason why I, I thought about it is because it starts with like kind of a history. And one of the things they talked about was like the big D20 revolution, which yeah, was yeah. like definitely a thing. I remember when like everything was just D20 this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So. Um, that was, that was the era when I was most active in that. Um, Paul Duffus, who I want to congratulate for having a Tim and Eric ass name, uh, says, uh, Anthony Kiedis calls and pleads with you to join the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The payday from the resulting album and tour will mean that you never have to work again. However, the one condition is you have to take it seriously. The whole endeavor must be in earnest. Do you take him up on the offer? Do you think you can, you can pull it off? Um, I would, I would do a lot of things to never have to, to work Mm -hmm. like, and I would still work and then just give money away. Um, but I couldn't take it seriously. (laughs) I'm too bad at lying. Um, and I, I don't know how to pretend. Yeah. So I couldn't do it. I mean, so let's define take it seriously here. Do you take it as Mm -hmm. seriously as everybody else in the band? Cause I don't think they're taking it very seriously. (laughs) I think that they like the music they're making. I think they think they look cool. I think they think that these are good songs about good subjects. Mm. I think they think these are good chord progressions and good song structures. Yeah. That's what I think of with taking it seriously. Like you have to believe in the art. Yeah. No, I can't make myself believe in something that I don't believe. Um, yeah. I'm not just, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I probably couldn't do it. 
if this was just a quite you know if it was just a question about like oh i've got to work with these assholes sure you know and like oh i've got to live you know i've got to like be on a tour bus with them and whatever uh that would be bad enough i think but i could probably do it but if it if it involves needing to buy into it wholly then i I don't yeah i I mean i just that's that would be the yeah. thing. I would go in and they would look at me and say, you're not really doing this. I'm like, yeah, I can't lie. And then we just waste yeah. everybody's time. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, like I would do way more horrendous things if I didn't have to be genuine about it. Genuine about it. Like I would do that tour and be the guy who empties out the like tour bus toilet <laughs> and cleans that for a year to never have to, or for a tour mm-hmm. to never have to work Yeah. again. But I wouldn't have to pretend to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, sir, flea. Like, yeah. please, I'm honored to accept your waste. Like, I, I couldn't do that. And, and, and you don't think that by being part of the apparatus, by, by, <laughs> so maybe if I'm part of the mob, I can steer it towards wise decisions from within. Do you think, do you think I'm going to get Anthony Kiedis to write better lyrics subtly <laughs> by cleaning his toilet in certain ways? Uh, I think so. <laughs> Just leaving better songs. Maybe, like, maybe his, maybe his, his output since the, since, uh, since the eighties or whenever they found it is the result of just like low level sepsis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, has anybody, I, I, has I, anybody I, thought about getting, just just put, putting Kitas on a Z pack? Yeah, you put on a Z pack. Has anyone ever thought about healing Flea's fistula, and maybe that will help him from being that guy? The, he always, I, he always I, tells I, that story about b- b- hot gluing his fingers back together. Maybe yep. somebody should hot glue that fistula. <laughs> Yep. I had a friend who uh, told me a story about one of his friends seeing Insane Clown Posse on, on a plane. Okay. And saying, hey, guys, uh, I'm a really big fan. Can I take a picture with you? And them just looking him up and down. <laughs> And then going, fuck off, irony. And then they, they said the, the F slur. Yeah. Uh, but they immediately saw through him trying to get like a funny social media picture. That would be a very, very good story if it was not for the slur. I, I still think it's, I mean, ICP said it. Like, I think it's still a funny slur. I, I just, uh, you know, yeah. if, if that happened to me, I would take tons of joy in having that story and telling yeah, people about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it is still a good story. But yeah. It makes it harder to tell on a podcast. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah but i just yeah. i like i like that this is i mean it's obviously something they've run into before and they yeah. can that, that they can spot you coming from a mile away is very good to me yeah that's very funny yeah oh. um <laughs> let's see here is this me or you this is you okay uh dustin writes i'm using this quarantine time to get better at guitar i have been playing for around 15 years and have just recently got into the musical theory to provide a bit of focus to my noodling i know that cole and gary both occasionally drop some advanced terms to describe things like soundtrack songs i know that cole was in choir and gary is in band how can you tell us more uh can you tell us more about your musical backgrounds what you like to play how you practice how did you start out um i would also like to know the chords of the bonfire side chat intro and outro thanks what are the chords of the bonfire side chat intro and outro, Cole? Uh, so you tune uh, the guitar to an open D minor. The only string that you touch is the high E. Um, and I think that it goes, uh, I would have to actually like, sit down and play it, but it's like three, five, seven. Um, uh, so the third, third, third fret, fifth fret, and the seventh fret 
Dustin um, knows what three five seven means. Yeah, He's playing guitar for fifteen years. Man. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> it, it and then it's just a, and then it's just a slide up for each for each little phrase. Um, and then like literally like the um the outro is is just just doing like doing some finger picking with those same positions again, only touching the high E. Uh, on an open D minor. There's a uh, there's a video that I put up on on uh, on Patreon that has like a tutorial of it. If you can do a search for it, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I have no uh, training. I started playing keyboard when I was six or seventeen, mm-hmm. um, and started learning they might be giant songs, and then was in bands basically from then on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, you know, and I just basically like learned enough instrumentation to write songs and kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, uh, I don't really do noodly stuff, um, which is okay. Cause I end up hooking up with good musicians who do, uh, right. who, who add the, add, add noodles. So <laughs> Andrew in my, in my current band and, and, you know, uh, Nat in my, my last band and such. Um, yeah. And that, that's basically it. Like none of any advanced terms are not, from anything other than uh taking a couple classes and doing some youtube but just thinking a lot about music yeah um through playing it yeah youtube has definitely given me vocabulary uh to discuss a lot of these things um and go listen to tube talking for any time um a music channel recommendation has come up things like um what is it 12 tone things like Mm -hmm. um uh uh, 8-bit 8-bit music composition something like that a bit music theory there we go um mm-hmm. th- you know things to regard those have been very useful for me yeah no like just aside from you know middle school and high school choir and band stuff where i l- learned to read sheet music and then forgot it i pretty much just picked up guitar and learned to play songs that i liked and pretty much have only been doing that ever since um i you know do sing i sing for myself I sing for my cat. I sing karaoke. I used to sing more. I enjoy that. That is very fun. Sing in the car, sing in the shower. But that is not really for anybody else. It is It is mostly just for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no wrong way to play music. No, not at all. Um, yeah. Uh, and this is a final life question mm-hmm. here. Um, Cole, do you notice, uh, this is from Michael. Do you yeah. notice any friction with your progressive politics living in small town Ohio? I'm considering moving from Chicago to a smaller city, and I'm curious about the culture. There are two caveats here. Um, the first is I grew up around here. I'm not currently living in the town where I grew up. I'm one town over, but it's similar enough. Uh, the second caveat is that um, I have a straight flush of privileges. Uh, you know, white, straight, male pretty pretty much won the lottery there so nothing about my outward mm-hmm. existence is explicitly political or threatened uh around a lot of people here the thing that i would that i will say um is that there are red states like electorally but when you get out of the realm of electoral politics a lot of individual people even though they are represented by assholes like hi i live in the in the district that is run by jim jordan one of the worst human beings alive there are blue people all over and there are people who believe many of the same things that I do. They just hate Democrats. And I also do not care for Democrats really. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about <laughs> and you can kind of get them to admit to wanting progressive things. Um, if you can get them out of the team sports mindset, 
Otherwise, though, I've not really run into friction because pretty much everybody is nice. And because it is in the Midwest, most people tend to avoid uh, conflict as long as one of their pet issues is not brought up. For example, eh, don't really talk about Trump because that immediately terminates thought and gets people into, uh, you know, into not great, uh, <laughs> not great situations, not great uh, behavior patterns and conversations. But otherwise, it is fine to coexist. I don't know if I grew up in Chicago and moved to a town like this or if I grew up in Cincinnati and moved to a town like this, if it would be as seamless. But as of, you know, my personal experience I am fine being a dirty ass lefty and living in this, you know, pretty red part of the country. Yeah. Reality has a pretty progressive bias. Yes. Like, you know, the, the pretty left policies have really, really high support. Yeah. So like universal healthcare is not controversial. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of trained to dislike people who dislike it mm -hmm. and to fight against it and to say like, Oh, we can't. Yeah. But it's actually extremely popular. So like down at the core, mm -hmm. you can probably find people who are, you know, who are with you. It also, I think, depends on your sensitivity of like seeing shit like that, though. Like if, you know, seeing Trump signs or seeing like, you know, immigrants go home or something like that yeah, right? like yeah. on somebody's porch. Like if that bothers you, it does happen. Like mm -hmm. when I go and visit my hometown, which is a smaller town, I'll see shit like that from time to time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, fuck, you know, like, boy, I don't like that. Uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt yeah. me. You know, mm -hmm. I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, like the only man, the only Trump sign I've really seen here recently um, has been like way out in the country, like over in Loudonville and stuff like around like here in my town. It's usually just like really local people, you know, where the partisan divide is not necessarily a split. And like in my neighborhood, there are Bernie signs. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it, it depends on individual sensitivities and stuff like that. But like, you're probably not going to meet the person who, who, who has that sign up. So, totally. Like yeah. it just, you know, just being, being around it. Yeah. No. You know, like that, that can have an ambient effect. Yeah. You know, but it, it's not a, you know, most people don't actually like engage with strangers about politics very much. That's the thing. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, why should you? <laughs> right. It's a horrible idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on to the lightning round. Yeah. We got some lightning round we, stuff. Do we do this last or do we do yeah. media questions last? I, I uh, no, we, we do light. We do lightning round last. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's do uh, media questions. Yeah. Let's do some media questions here. Um, let's see here. Todd writes, uh, this question is mainly for Gary since you talked about revisiting Shadowrun Hong Kong and ideas for future Shadowrun games. Have you tried any of the user generated content? I know you probably don't have time with your workload for the show, but if you're looking for more Shadowrun, there's three loosely connected campaigns by the same author, uh, Antumbra Saga, Caldecott Caper, and Calfrey in Chains, uh, that are all extremely well-written, well-designed, and steeped in Shadowrun lore. And they touch on some of the themes that you mentioned wanting to see in Shadowrun, uh, in Shadowrun campaign, like Tyr Terngir uh, and the entertainment industry. It's maybe not on the same level as Dragon Vault, which might be my favorite game of all time, but I'd put them right up there with Hong Kong. You played any of those? That's games? awesome. No, I have not, but I really appreciate the guidance. Yes. Because that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and I was definitely after Dragon Vault, I was still very hungry for, you know, I immediately, you know, chugged uh, Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So. 
Yeah. That's awesome. I will check those out. <laughs> I see the Caldecott caper and I think, so is it a, is it a, uh, like a, it's like a young a, adult. It's a, it's, it's a heist on an elementary school. Yeah. That's <laughs> a Beverly Cleary yeah. is my runner name. <laughs> they, they call me super fudge. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm looking forward to those. I, uh, this is the year of mods for yep. Gary. Like Gary likes fan made content now. Yeah. <laughs> so can fan fiction be far behind? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, like, <laughs> like 1000%, mm-hmm. but in video games, I can dig it. Yeah. Um, Nicholas says, remembering the watch over fireballs of yesteryear, bringing bad was a big talking point between the two of you. I love the enthusiasm about it, but I don't ever recall you bringing up better, better call Saul. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? If you watched it personally, I think it surpasses the quality of breaking bad. I watched season one and then put it down. Not because not for any reason, just because yeah, life, uh, see earlier when we talked about it getting a lot harder to get into new shows and learn new characters. Yep. Same. Uh, almost exactly the same for a long time. Cole and I have bandied about the idea of doing a breaking bad podcast. I think we'd both really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a one in one out policy right now for podcasts because I don't want to start anything new, mm-hmm. but if we decide to retire something, that would be a fun thing yeah. to take up the slot. Um, and then if I did that rewatch, I think mm-hmm. that show would probably continue into better call Saul. Cause I'm really excited to play it or to, mm-hmm. to watch it just, uh, yeah. you know, no bingeable TV is dangerous for me. Like I don't, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the like starting a new series and being able to watch like seven episodes in a day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel good to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, but the stuff that I saw in season one, like, I don't know how much they continue with Saul's brother. Uh, my, I think Michael McKean, oh, he's, yeah, he's a major character. Yeah. Like, yeah. Without, yeah. But yeah, Michael McKean's great. I, I love him as an actor and his character that he plays and specifically the electro sensitivity, uh, mm-hmm. angle to that is, uh, was, was really engaging. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, just dropped it for basically no reason. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah. Um, Michael writes, I'd be curious to know how you expect the dialogue on video games to change as we move through the pandemic. Already, the New York Times is writing about professional streamers. Game companies are becoming increasingly present in general media for their outreach to consumers. Will this be the turning point that finally stops the video games are for losers and violent people discussion? I haven't heard that discussion um, a lot very recently. Yeah, I feel like that discussion has been gone for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, not totally gone, but it's been minimized mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I, I have no idea what it'll be like after pandemic. There's like definitely, you know, people doing video game streams, people doing virtual tabletop, yeah. things like that. Like, I think that this is definitely going to have a, hey, leaving your house is more optional than we ever thought it was. Yeah. Uh, kind of thing. I think it'll be like a rubber band where like everybody's way into being out, mm-hmm. but with any luck, like a lot of people are going to be able to work from home after yeah. this, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And offices are arbitrary money sinks uh-huh. all the time, you know, so that that's good. Um, I think this will affect video games as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it will be in terms of like respect kind of thing. I think yeah. that it's more, you know, I don't, I don't know. People write about whatever, like mm-hmm. New York times is going to write about professional streamers because, you know, content and because, the plague yeah i don't know that's necessarily going to like reach mom and pop new york times subscriber to be like huh streamers mm-hmm. yeah yeah this ninja fella <laughs> seems good you know i can't stream with women what the hell <laughs> yeah. yeah you know somebody somebody talked about that in chat on one of my streams i think and no mm-hmm. fuck man that, that was us no, will did it to you. yeah will did it to me where we talked about yes. his weird mike pence rule shit all yeah. of it's running together 
I, yeah. I, I think the biggest effect is going to be, you know, basically anything that people started doing when they were quarantined, be it playing video games or watching streams or doing a sourdough or whatever. If they don't drop it out of inconvenience once they lose the time, new habits are being formed here. And, you know, I think that's generally more people are going to get engaged with those kinds of things. I don't know if it's actually going to move things. I think the bigger effect is going to be basically a supply chain uh, con uh, concern later on. I think in about six months, we're going to have a lot of games that are delayed or just not coming out. There's going to be a drought, specifically in the AAA scene, uh, as games get delayed and moved, as production gets shift shifted around, as studios uh, move to work from home, and they can mm -hmm. no longer effectively force people to crunch. Yeah, it's going to be weird. because like there's, there's that whole group of gamers, 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 who, uh, gamers, who basically like have that sense of like a uh, uh, scarcity mentality with games that, and we've talked about how unrelatable that is. Yeah. You know, the idea of like, Oh, like I don't have anything to play, like nothing new is coming out. What do I do? And I'm like, I guarantee you, you have not played every cool game that is interesting from the last five years. I guarantee you haven't um, played every cool game that you own. Yeah. You own or every cool indie that came out. Like if you broaden your perspective, just like a tiny bit, mm -hmm. you'll get infinity back, Yeah, you know? And like, even, you know, every pinhole contains infinity like with, with any kind of media right now. So like the, uh, hopefully it moves people away from that mindset. Like, Oh no, there's not a new Assassin's Creed. What do I do? Like, mm -hmm. man, fucking play anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's so, there's so many different options. Like it would be really cool if this had that effect, Yeah, yeah. that supply chain thing and people just kind of being more into <clears throat> it. Like, yeah, fuck man, you know, have you played Dragonfall? Mm -hmm. Like give it a goddamn shot. Yeah. You know, um, you can have better things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Park says, moving on to show questions, Matt yeah. says, are there any games that you've covered in the early days of WAF where your opinion has changed or that you wish you can go back and re-record after 8.5 years of practice? Um, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't have any, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we've talked about like perennial, perennial examples, like, um, you know, Blood, Bloodlines is the big one for me. Bloodlines is a big one. Um, I think it'd be good to go back. Like, I don't know, like I, I Having having played Call of the Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth more recently, like uh, uh, I I would like to go back and revisit that because I have a less sunny outlook on that overall than I mm -hmm. than than I think we kind of gave ourselves latitude to express um, early on mm -hmm. um, things like that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think the the the, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, there's just no real reason to because we can continue moving forward. Yes, you know. It's a, but if we ever had to like doing, you know, a first year flashback or something like that, like we can mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. You know, like the, um, the talking Simpsons guys have done that and it mm -hmm. makes more sense because they have more resources and research and stuff. Yeah. Um, then, and they're also like moving into some really dire Simpson season slowly, yeah. <laughs> you know, and for us though, like the, again, every, every pinprick is infinity. Yes. Like we can just move forward forever. Mm -hmm. Like this never has to stop. So, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of impetus to do yeah. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Andrew asked a question uh, here that uh, we, we've also provided an answer for, but we can do a quick one. Um, I've listened to a lot of really early episodes, so I don't know if I missed it either. But how did you two meet? Something awful forums. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, the part of that question, uh, just real briefly, um, in Abject Suffering, we talked about Zombie Nation does not have zombies. Uh, but Andrew proposes that the character you're moving around, your avatar, is a zombie. Oh. But where's the nation, Andrew? <laughs> where's the nation? It's not called Battletoad Nation because you control a Battletoad. It's also not called Battletoad Nation. Yeah, I mean, if it was though, you'd think like, oh, there'd be multiple battle toads. <laughs> I was you know, promised like a whole. Of, I was promised enough battle, battle toads, toads for a rack. Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> how is this a galaxy of battle toads? <laughs> three, uh, <laughs> three battle toads is not a galaxy. Not a galaxy. Like, Talk about some dire Simpsons, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I have some affection for the Funzo episode. I think that's a bad part of that episode. Um. So. Yeah, uh, but I, I have some affection for Funzo. <laughs> Funzo uh, cute. Do you want to do a lightning round? Let's uh, let's lightning round it up. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, Ludwig writes: uh, Should I move in with this family of raccoons I spotted on my neighborhood? Thanks. Uh, nope. Yes. Okay. Uh, Patrick says: Have either of you seen the commitments? What do you think of it? Um, I have. Uh, it's been a very long time. I remember thinking it was all right. What is the commitments? It's a movie about an Irish soul band. Huh. Um, it is okay. Yeah. Um, Marcus writes, uh, for both of you, what are your comfort comfort food games for times like these? Uh, management mm-hmm. Sims, City Builder Sims, things like that. Yeah. Uh, I have been playing uh, you know, I, more Dark Souls mm-hmm. stuff, like old Dark Souls games. I've been playing through that Dark Souls 2 mod, uh, which has been comfortable because it's just new enough. Right. And then I also fell uh, back into a couple of perpetual holes. Um, I started playing Enter the Gungeon um, again a little bit. And then mm-hmm. I also bought uh, on sale uh, Luminous Remastered. Oh, yeah. So I've been playing uh, Luminous. Man, Luminous Remastered is really good. Man, I, I fucking love that, that mm-hmm. game. It's one of my favorite like drop puzzlers. Yeah. So extremely good. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, we've got our topic. Um, yeah. and the, 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 the prompt is short, but I think we've got some stuff to say about it. Uh, Lucas mm-hmm. asks us, uh, I'd like to hear you guys discuss what makes a game's writing and lore evocative and cool versus being trite and overwrought. Why is Dark Souls good and Lords of the Fallen bad? Good lore versus dumb lore. Yeah. Uh, that's tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, but we can, we can, we can chat about it. I don't think we'll have a definitive answer because obviously this is very subjective. Yep. It's going to come down to taste a lot of the time. I think that there, uh, is dumb lore that can be sold with good tone and there is uh good lore that can be spoiled by bad tone. I think that it is not just the content, but it's also the, the, the expression such as in Lords of the Fallen, when your main character is screaming defiance. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. not good lore. That's bad tone <laughs> and bad lore. Well, you know, I think uh, that maybe there would have been more defined. If... I, I think a, a good a good example of what you're talking about of kind of bad lore that is expressed in a in a tone that's good, uh-huh. and not bad lore, but so much is more like generic. Yeah, um, is something like The Last of Us. Yeah, which is a game I I have a lot of affection for, but is such a pile of cliches. Yep. You know, like oh, like these are definitely cannibals. Like oh, these mm-hmm. are definitely you know. It's just a zombie outbreak from Cordyceps, which is a cool idea. But, like, I had friends who were presupposing that in high school. Right. You know, once they found out about that fungus, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the uh, nothing new mm-hmm. is going on there. It just kind of expressed with, like, a weight and, right. a, and a kind of, like, popcorn cinematic pleasure that, like, makes me like it. Yeah. 
Um, I think that the soundtrack is actually is actually does a lot of work in The Last of Us, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as far as like the heavy lifting uh, for the tone, and obvi- obviously the performances are yeah are, are 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 all very good. But yeah, like you know the pile of cliches when it eventually becomes oh yes the true monster here is man you know they're just yes. like literally the same the, the 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 same epiphany that comes from any zombie media you know see this yeah, see yeah. the scene in the walking dead comic where they're walking up and down the prison fence you know puncturing every zombie's head and saying yeah we haven't really worried about the zombies a lot lately now that we have the governor around yeah yeah <laughs> like, we are the walking dead yeah we know yes um yeah <laughs> So, so that kind of ends up being like a, a function of expression mm-hmm. in the actual like writing a good example of this, I think. And it's a game that I love. Right. Uh-huh. But like, you know, replaying Dark Souls 2, <clears throat> um, Dark Souls 2 has worse lore descriptions of things. Yeah. Like, I think that the actual situations are all really good and cool. Yeah. But just reading an item description from Dark Souls 1, which I did a little bit of doing that randomizer uh-huh. and then Dark Souls 2, you can see a little bit of this difference. Yeah. And. Uh, part of it is the same as any good writing, which is um, enticing and relevant detail. Yeah. You know, uh, detail is very important to lore. So, like, you know, it is not enough just to mention the abattoir of lost souls. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But saying, like, you know, the the everyone who goes mm-hmm. to the abattoir of lost souls who can survive for nine and a half days gets their wish granted or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like throwing a little bit of just like hook. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of like monster in my podcast DNA to this question too. Like mm-hmm. little hook. Yeah. You know, th- those kind of like little details are really tantalizing. And that's what to me makes good lore shit. Mm-hmm. You know, cause, cause it fires the imagination and you can make connections based on that. Yeah. I mean, it's like a ratio or if I was feeling pretentious, I would say a dance between um, detail and mystery. You know, yeah. like there's definitely a give and take and they have to kind of move in sync with each other uh, because something could be entirely overridden and you could get the codex from like Dragon Age. Right. <laughs> Where, yes, which is just an encyclopedia. Yes. Like that's it, basically like a bland. But even in Dragon Age, right, like part of the issue with that stuff is not that the world itself is bad or even that those the content of the codex is uh, what they were telling you about were uninteresting. Mm-hmm. It's that they were really boringly written. Yeah. Like, you know, every one of those is three times the word count it should be. I, I mean, so to, to to take something that is kind of like less of a uh, less of a pinata that we usually hit, see Blasphemous, right? Yes. Where everything, all of the lore was presented as excerpts from a text, but because all of the text was like religious, uh, you know, sermons and things like that, it was all written in a style that actually like basically terminated curiosity. <laughs> yeah. Obfuscated any like details that would yeah. be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while you'd run into something and it'd be like, oh, like the the sepulcher of the three agonies. Like, that's yeah. cool. That mm-hmm. sounds good. And then when you learn mm-hmm. more about what the three agonies were, it'd be like and so and so bespoke so and so who then and it's just like, man, like noun soup. Yeah. You know, which is which is a Dragon Age problem as well, or like also tends to be a little bit of a Dark Souls 2 problem where like Dark Souls 2 also expanded on the number of like far off kingdoms that there were. So you would just kind of get these things you'd never actually learn about Mm -hmm. and not, you know, learning about Mira and how like they valued, um, 
you know, sword play and how, how important that was is kind of cool. But then you end up with stuff like the Varangians. And I'm like, I don't, mm. <laughs> I don't know enough about the Varangians to be, for and, them to be cool. And also the Varangians or whatever, like that's actually just pulled from our world. Yeah. Like that was just the name yeah. of like a, a, a seafaring people. <laughs> yep. Like what if pirates is not good enough? Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you know, you have to, unless you're carrying that tone, like, you know, again with the last of us, which is like, what if plant zombies, mm-hmm. but they get across a lot of heavy lifting with like cinematography yeah, yeah. and such. And like, I, I have a degree of contempt for multimedia lifting, elevating a thing above its weight class. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you, you're, it, you're, you'll understand. You'll know this character. if you read the Interpol novel? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or just, um, this actually isn't that interesting, but the music is telling me it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's oh, something I, yeah, that, yeah. you know, th- I don't love that, but it, it is something that works on me from time to time because it's a tried and tested, you know, dealy. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it, it's it, part it, of art. music is plugged into your emotions in a way that other things are not. Yeah. You know, ideally you want them both to work together. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, you want like Gwyn. Yes. Where like everything is works in concert and it's an mm-hmm. absolute masterpiece of an encounter. <laughs> right. You don't you don't have one aspect of the presentation picking up a lot of the slack for the other stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something that you know just again like doing a comparison between Dark Souls One and Dark Souls Two. Something that I think really works for me about the lore of Dark Souls Two is that they are so focused on the idea of what different rulers did to address the curse that a lot of the detail that you find in the different areas or about different people is kind of telling the same story from different angles and different like sets of priorities and kind of like exposing different atrocities that were committed to try and contain this thing that absolutely, absolutely could not be contained. So like a certain amount of thematic consistency where everything is, you know, ultimately draws to the same point, be it, um, you know, dealing with the curse or looking at dark souls to, you know, specifically the way they address hollowing as a kind of dementia or a loss or effacement of self. I think that mm-hmm. that really heightens a lot of that detail um, and makes it, uh, it makes it resonate more when you, when you, when you find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, part of, uh, you know, again, another like kind of contrast point, it's hard to, answer this question without just doing, you know, direct contrasts Mm -hmm. of uh, things. But like, it it is a really a threading a needle thing because you can have a world that's too big and references too many outside points, Mm -hmm. but you can also very easily have a thing where this runs up against um, conservation of detail uh, things. So an example of that is like, we're we're doing the surge right now Mm -hmm. for bonfireside chat. And there's just not enough in that world. Right. You know, it, it's 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 all self-contained within this company. So every little bit of story or lore is all tied to this event in this company, mm-hmm. uh, which means that there is no mystery because the answer is always, you know, there's a central <laughs> mystery of the plot. But in any of the like the side details, mm-hmm. you know, the answer is always just like, oh, Creo did it. Yeah. Oh, Cre- Cre- Creo didn't care about anybody else. And it it, it was ruled by, you know, it was it was run by very vain people who are more concerned about their legacy and their mm-hmm. and and their stature than actual lives, yeah. Which is also a cliche. Like it runs yeah. up not only in like too small of scope, mm-hmm. but also really cliche. Yeah, sci-fi about what if capitalism bad? Yeah, you know, we know. <laughs> I trust we me. I, yep, <laughs> we know, Serge. Yeah. Like we got you. Yeah. You know, weirdly enough, Lords of the Fallen is a 
Like, I don't actually even remember what that's about, but I bet you it's not as cliche as the search is. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like that. And then the other, like, the final little piece of this, because Dark Souls is the Omni comparison for video games, mm-hmm. is how this stuff is delivered. Yeah. Um, you know, I we, we've spent a lot of time praising how Dark Souls does it. I think how Dark Souls does item placement and how they use items is Masterclass mm-hmm. and the best in video games. I think that... Uh, when you run into things like a codex, you know, um, whether it's just an in-game encyclopedia you can open or just an arbitrary Dragon Age thing where like, hey, this spot on the floor right here tells me about something on the other side of the world mm-hmm. if I click on it. Um, that's also not doing enough work to fully invest you. Yeah. Like, I think that Dark Souls does a lot of lore stuff through um, laundering your appreciation or like your ability to get new lore through things you want anyway. Well, so I mean, like <laughs> here, here, here's the word, everybody let's go crazy. Uh, it's the secret word of the day. Integration. It is tying, yeah. it, it is, it is tying the lore details to a mechanical benefit or at least a potential mechanical alteration. You might pick up a weapon that you, uh, are never going to be able to use because it's for a different build, but it is still there. There is still the possibility that it will, you know, take you in a different direction as, as to how you play. And it has a story yeah. attached to it. Yeah. And you, you look at that item to see if you can use it mm-hmm. or what it's about. And then you read the, the lore or you get the lore popping up in loading screens, yeah. which is downtime anyway. Like that one of the low key, like best things that from does is present that information. Mm-hmm. Like even in games that do it worse than other games, they're still better at presenting it than other companies that have a emphasis on lore. Yeah. You know, so it is it is the you know the the medium influences the message and quality quite a bit in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um to take this in a slightly different direction than just from um I want to uh, talk about like a broader series and do a contrast to like a subset of that series. So basically anything in the uh Ivalice or Ivalice alliance is actually really interesting to me from a uh, fr- from a tone uh, standpoint mm-hmm. specifically the stuff that yasumi matsuno uh, had direct involvement in uh so i am speaking specifically of like final fantasy tactics and final fantasy 12 mm-hmm. um where that has a lot of really cool detail that uh is you know different than what, what you would expect it to be and is presented in this historical or academic tone that instead of obscuring the fun stuff about it actually heightens it you know, so mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy Tactics, where everything is presented as, you know, this history of, you know, a fictionalized version of like the Hundred Years War, um, you know, <laughs> on one hand, it feels dry when they're first introducing it to you. But it becomes clear that you are playing as not just somebody who encounters the movers and shakers, but you are a hidden part of that history that actually steers it because Raya Ramza has been has been, you know, alighted, has been removed from the uh, from the actual history itself. So there is a sense of, uh, you know, uh, having an outsized influence on on an established world that is presented in a in an aesthetically pleasing way. Similarly, with Final Fantasy twelve, you are not actually playing as somebody who is, you know, you know, directly in charge of any of the kingdoms. But again, you are moving in the edges and pull, you know, pulling the strings that ultimately affect the way things turn that turn out. Right. Yeah. You know, so I think that yeah. like, you know, generally final fantasy, gen, you know, puts all of its details and lore on front street. And a lot of it is playing with like new, weird, 
um, you know, merging of sci-fi and fantasy. But Ivalice itself, I think, is the best lore that the uh, that the series has to offer because of those because of its peculiarities. Well, and it's also because they um, there's like a rich history that exists before you show up. Yes, and it, you know, like you end up with. Uh, things like just taking a popular author, not the best person to do this, but just because people know the example. Like you take somebody like George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. who like wrote out the entire history of this world and mm-hmm. then started writing the novel. Yeah, and that shows. Mm-hmm. Like when you do that, like that's what you you pick up in Evilus yes. games. Yeah, is that there's stuff that you're not going <clears> to <throat> deal with that are still very important to shaping things, and everything kind of has a reason. Yeah. has a reason behind it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in in other Final Fantasy games, uh oftentimes what you get is any history that exists is the prophecy that you are fulfilling. You know? Yeah. Or it's is like the... on a need to know basis. Yeah, yeah. It only it, it only exists once it is once it is explicated, once you as a player encounter it. it should be on a want to know basis. Yeah. You know, and you should make it uh you know, the the quality should be good. Well, you <laughs> yeah, it should be good. Yeah, like I want, I should want to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the know, best. I love the best area in Final Fantasy twelve. It's really good. Yeah, I, I believe it. It's funny. I, <laughs> you know, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a good example of, of bad for that, and not everybody you know agrees with this, but like Metroid Prime, I don't think that writing is good. Yeah, I think that's a, you know not only do I not like that as a way to tell that story, mm-hmm. like through like just finding audio logs, but I don't think that what's happening there is interesting. Right. You know, um, I think it interferes with the atmosphere. Yeah, I was I was shocked when I went back to it. I was like, this is as boring as wallpaper paste. Yeah, yeah. this is what is this Dragon Age one? <laughs> you know, like don't don't uh, don't have writing like that. Yeah. You know, got to have some spark, mm-hmm. relevant detail. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's probably good. I think uh, so. Let us, uh, so if you have uh, questions and prompts, we put out the call for those mm-hmm. every month on uh patreon.com slash techfeed tv if you would like to give us a question or a prompt uh please sign up for our patreon mm-hmm. and we uh, if we did not get to your topics we have a bunch of them we'll do another you know cleanup episode soon yes oh. yeah um so why don't we get started with the listener responses and i'm just going to work this in so we don't have to edit it out yeah ripping yeah, and ripping. it's time there to drink are. a listener response <laughs> yeah, by which i mean a diet coke that i am pouring into a cup right now diet um, listener response <laughs> Uh, no, the listener responses are meaty. This is a this was a four game month, and mm-hmm. uh, we had some uh, some games people had a lot to say about. So I'm going to get us started here with Luigi. Uh, not the yep, with Luigi's Mansion, not Luigi. Uh, Luigi himself didn't mm-hmm. write in. We have Bren who says oh, here. No, <laughs> we have Bren who says via contact. Um, I have a great deal of nostalgia for Luigi's Mansion. I wasn't allowed to have a game system when I was a kid, but over one school break, my parents caved and let me rent a GameCube and Luigi's Mansion from the local Blockbuster. Uh, the only problem was that there wasn't any memory cards, uh, so I couldn't save, and every time i died or turned off the machine i would have to start back at the very beginning i can't remember how many times i lost to bosses and still to this day i have never beaten king boo i didn't care though uh at that age with all that free time being able to wander around a spooky mansion vacuum vacuuming up ghosts and listening to eerie music was the best I loved the game so much that when Halloween rolled around, I dressed up as Luigi, complete with a homemade Poltergust 3000, and he forever became my favorite Mario character. Hell That's yeah. Great. Hell yeah for Kid kid Luigi. Yeah. 
Yeah. Doesn't it feel like a million years ago that we did Luigi's Mansion? <laughs> I, I was shocked when I looked at the calendar. Uh, that's this month? Oh, Jesus. Fuck, dude. <laughs> that doesn't feel right. No. Like Le- Legend of Grimrock feels like it was forever ago. Yeah. Everything is just time. Yeah. Time, time, time. Um, yeah, that, that is a, a cute story. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, memory cards. That mm, sucked. Yeah. Um, Derek says via contact. Uh, can we just talk about how Luigi never once questioned how he won the mansion? Playing as Luigi is such a great flip from the ever-fearless Mario with his arsenal of power-ups. Finally, a game where the plumber really is just a plumber. I like to think that the Poltergust 3000 was an old shop vac that Egad found in his shed. The atmosphere in this game is amazing, and the music is so good. Every Halloween, I make the theme my ringtone. I'm always a sucker for a map of completed rooms, and Luigi's Mansion is no exception. A bright, uh, bright, nice room is complete. A dark room is incomplete. I'm currently getting into the Resident Evil series, and I would like to think that Luigi's Mansion was my introduction to these classic horror-type games. Seeing a trapped Mario was a fantastic surprise, and pushes home how Luigi often feels without Mario. Mario always gets center stage, and of course he has his name on the front of the franchise, but Luigi had to fight for his respect. By the end of the game, I can say that I'm a bigger Luigi fan than I am a Mario fan. I mean, it kind of seems, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from that observation. Luigi has a personality and Mario doesn't. Yeah. It's Donald Duck versus, uh, versus, you know, Mickey, Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah. Michael Mouse. <laughs> One Michael um, Mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if it wasn't for the hated Donald Duck's horrible voice, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, he'd be good as good as Luigi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you know that that all that all tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario is pretty boring. Like I love Mario games. I like looking at Mario. Mm-hmm. I like the sounds Mario makes. Like I get a little dopamine. Like, oh, hey, it's, oh look, it's Mario. Yeah, I enjoy the Mario. Um, dresses up as a cat. Dresses up as a bee. These mm-hmm. are all good things. Yeah. Um, but Luigi does have like a much stronger personality. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird how Toad doesn't really have a personality? Like in the cartoon, <laughs> he's like a grumpy asshole. But in the the games. Yeah, no, he's pretty, he's, he's pretty much, oh, like, I mean, so you encounter different, so like the canonical toad is pretty much just there to be exposition for you, but like yeah. you find, you know, in the RPGs specifically toads that have different personalities, like individual personalities. I yeah. mean, the toad, the toad, yes. mushroom retainer, like yeah. specifically mushroom retainer. Uh, yeah. The, the, the mushroom retainer, like, like the, the, the one thing that I know, like that sticks out to me about toad is in Super Mar- Mario RPG when Toad talks about you know the, the the kidnapping when it happened he says I was so startled that my spores almost dropped Ugh. and like you know and, and as a kid whatever but like thinking about that line rolling it over my head because it haunts me Gary it haunts me is he is he saying I was so scared that he's I almost come. came yeah 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 let's just say I'm sitting in the right chair. <laughs> Like that's that's what that's what that line is basically. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, like it doesn't it doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense. Why, why do you spend so much time on that motorcycle, Toad? <laughs> you got to be fear come. <laughs> fear come. I don't like fear come. I don't like the idea of being scared at the moment of ejaculation. No, no, no nobody, nobody. Ashton Kutcher, don't you dare fucking prank me right at the moment of release. <laughs> The confidence of my dick will not be impugned. All, all I'm thinking of, and I'm positive these exist, but like a but like a screamer porn video. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. I've had like I've watched porn before where like some weird artifacting happens, and I'm like, oh, this <laughs> so, is turning into a creepy pasta. Like, yeah, and like specifically, like somebody's face like completely stretches out and gets yeah, distorted. Melts. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like ah, you know, and it's such a funny, like confusing little wire bit. Like, ah, and then you get, you get past it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. It's like driving under a tunnel and the radio goes out, <laughs> <laughs> but for masturbation. Yeah. Okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> this this didn't suddenly shift shift no. genre on me. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh moving on to Legend of Grimrock 2, uh, we have one response here from Jack. Hey Jack. Uh says, I'm so happy you guys covered this game. As a kid who logged conservatively 150 hours and I had the Beholder 1 and 2 on a third-hand computer, the armed square of people still evokes strong memories. Legend of Grimrock 2 served those memories in the best possible ways by including the option to force me to graph my auto maps, which I did with some old yellowed graph paper from my high school math days. Nice. Um, additionally, the twist on the hated invisible teleporter maze was, uh, d- uh, went down so much more smoothly than it did in those games of yore. The beautiful, the beautiful veneer this game put on this genre, genre is also a testament to how new and fancy graphical flair can mix with mechanics a lot of people might consider dated in a flawless way. Yeah. Uh, the, like I love, uh, Grimrock because there are no teleporter mazes. Yep. There are just teleporters. Because um, mm-hmm. teleporter mazes are horrible. Yeah. And that team knew it. And when they yeah. put one in, that is still like you call it a teleporter maze because it is a maze where the walls are teleporters. Like they found a way to to, to actually make it not suck by not yep. making it the usual thing, by not making it the yep. teleporter maze at the end of uh, Kingsfield. Right. Yes. You know, or uh, in Eye of the Beholder or even like Fantasy Star 2. Yes. You know, because that, that stuff's fucking just horrendous mm-hmm. you know so it, it does it scrapes off all the bad shit mm-hmm. you just get the good shit yeah what a game let's cover it again <laughs> <laughs> i've been uh so that like the uh nintendo ran an atlas sale on the e-shop and will put out a big thread of his recommendations and stuff so i got like um smt uh strange journey redux and stuff like that mm-hmm. and also like devil survivor because you mentioned it's a good tactics game uh so mm-hmm. i'm i'm looking forward to messing around with those Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. strange journey as the first person exploration. I don't know. I've got, I've got a bit of a, I've got, I've got a bit of a, a, a hunger for this kind of thing after my good experience with Grimrock too. I, I was thinking about that, but I think, I think I really need it to not be turn-based. Yeah. You know, I can see uh, that. Like one of the, one of the questions that didn't um, pop in that was like on the Patreon, but we didn't get to it <clears throat> yeah. this month um, that we'll, we'll get to next month was like, what are some, you know, games that get ruined by a single mechanic mm-hmm. you know or something like that and like uh you know the example i was used for that is like fall damage and portal yeah you yeah. know like it doesn't have that but it would ruin it mm-hmm. i think you know uh and and nobody's advocating this but like uh, we've been talking about grimrock in the slack yeah. and uh someone was was talking about like why you, you would make it turn-based like a regular person and like they were talking about rebuilding it like i'm not trying to straw man them yeah but if you just took, took grimrock as, as it is now and made it turn-based it would <laughs> absolutely ruin the game Yep. The game would be unplayable, mm-hmm. you know, and like that is the like, I don't want to do wizardry. Like, I don't want to not solve puzzles and mm-hmm. I don't want to walk around and do JRPG combat just in first person. Yeah. Like, I, I want to do Grimrock. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do Grimrock shit mm-hmm. in first person. Like, there's a there's a big difference between the even the and like I the Beholder. Yeah. 
for me. Mm-hmm. Yep, Grimrock is special. Very special. Yeah. So, uh, Moving on to Prince of Persia, Sands of Time uh, responses. Matt says, I love the episode on Sands of Time. I remember having the same beefs with combat last time I visited it. Uh, however, with all your talk of bassist energy, I was surprised you didn't dig deeper into the soundtrack. The soundtrack was composed by Stuart Chatwood, the bassist of the Tea Party. He also composed the soundtrack for Gary's beloved Darkest Dungeon. Oh, that's interesting. I mm-hmm. uh, just thought this was a cool fact that I wanted to highlight. Um, I think we did mention the band. I did not know that the bassist also did the Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, that's soundtrack. a good, cool connection. I did not see. Mm-hmm. I just I remember liking the music, with the exception of that prison, that prison sting where it became Chug Rock. Yeah. <laughs> chorus, chorus, riff, riff, chug, riff, riff, ch- ch- <laughs> ch- ch- chug, riff, blues, talica, oblivion, outro, oblivion, outro, blues, talica. <laughs> Wait, um, did they have blues, talica to the board? Blues, talica has been on the board. That's the opening. Oh shit! That's right after the intro. It goes into blues, talica. <laughs> okay, I, I forgot in that in that story about blues, talica. That seems yeah, like something it's, it's, that because all the rest of them are very like, it's funny because the, the, all the rest of them are super nondescript as to be uh-huh. useless. Yeah, and then that one is so descriptive as to be repulsive. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like that's a good illustration of the good and bad lore. Thing, the virgin blues Talica versus the Chad yeah. Chagrin. <laughs> yeah, the, the the whiteboard in the practice space is really. Some bad environmental storytelling. <laughs> it's, it's a land so, of contrast. There's good environmental storytelling and bad within the bad. Yeah, uh, the felling of the doom tree. <laughs> God, that is still so good. <laughs> oh man, I hope that uh, I hope that they're doing okay. I, you know, I do too. I, I also am now all of a sudden had a minor anxiety spike because I'm like, are we still fucking paying rent for that place? Oh, like right now, yeah, probably. probably. That's dumb. Yeah, we should stop that. Yeah. Um, gonna move on here. Uh, Kian writes in via contact. Hey guys, got a feeling this might be written too late, but I wanted to express how much I enjoyed the Prince of Persia trilogy. To me, this has been the peak of 3D platformers and adventure games. Uh, the challenges were demanding, the inputs were satisfying, and it pains me whenever I see a modern uh, action adventure game where you just push the analog stick in a direction and the main character does all of the work. It's a very jarring transition from the relatively pleasant first game to the gritty, sweary, over-the-top goth feel of the second game, but I have to admit that I, that I adored every second of The Warrior Within. And the soundtrack, my god. Fingers crossed this isn't the last we've heard of the prince and his very English accent. I'm not sure if the my god was was was, was yeah, positive. Yeah, uh, you do you do you i just i, I find that i find it repulsive i i like the i knew that the second one was gritty but i've never played it and mm-hmm. adding the adjective sweary makes it very funny to me it is very because sweary. like that's that's hilarious uh-huh. like that 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 is that sounds very funny to me that yeah. sounds like um you know which one of you limp dicks wants to get a tech com online like some <laughs> warrior shit you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny to me. It, it, it is sweary and if you do like an image search for it one of the main villains or at least like who's who, who appears to be the main villain is a very chesty woman in like a very impractical metal bikini mm. yeah no they they they, they 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 put some tna in front of you too cool yeah it's a- um <laughs> love it <laughs> uh give me that t but also that a mm. And little P for daddy. Um, <laughs> Scott says <laughs> via contact. 
Uh, I have a very love hate relationship with Sands of Time. It's a game I've started four times over the course of seven. I've started four times over the course of 17 years, but never finished. I always find myself stuck at one point or another. The third time being a game breaking glitch that can be encountered in the observatory that makes the game impossible to finish. The fourth time playing through, I got stuck in the elevator fight where all the flaws of the combat system are highlighted being stunlocked by a group of enemies surrounding you. The prince running up a blue uh, enemy when you just want to roll out of the way and the general lack of precision that the combat sometimes has. At least for now, my patience for the game has run out. There's still plenty to like, and it says something positive about the game that I've given it so much of my time, but I feel in plenty of places it shows a few too many rough edges that are indicative of the console of that console generation. Uh, an important game for its time, but I feel that Sands of Time have not been kind to it in all respects. Yeah, the Sands of Time have not been kind to the Sands of Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm really happy that I didn't run into that game-breaking glitch. Me too. Because I played it on the original PS2, and that would have sucked. That would have been uh, rough stuff. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes think about like getting to a a glitch and just not being able to finish a game for the show after like like ten hours Mm -hmm. or some shit, and just how like much of a nightmare that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, No, no, I I don't even want to entertain the notion. Yep. Ugh. Um, but yeah i agree on other stuff the game just hasn't aged well for Mm -hmm. all of the aforementioned reasons Mm -hmm. yeah uh terror writes in via contact when i first played through sands of time at a friend's house like a lot of people i suspect um i over relied on the vault attack leading to extreme difficulty in the boss battle against prince dad and eventually uh bringing my run to a complete end when the game started having battles against all tough enemies who punish this move Needless to say, I never played this game again. <laughs> no, 19-year-olds who are in college don't do that, do they? No, I started over a new file to teach myself how to do the combat quote correctly instead, uh, because the game fails to, to, fails to tutorialize it effectively. I ended up settling for a mix of the parry insta-kill dagger for small enemies and the wall rebound for the large ones. Repetitive, but effective, and enough to get me through. I never played it. I never played it again, but the experience is a pleasant enough memory. And in Will Hughes of everything to guppy fashion, it can stay that way. It's the secret. Yep. <laughs> the secret to games you played in your early twenties and yep. teens. Mm-hmm. Leave them there, baby. Ooh. Yeah, no, they have a place yep. of honor. Do not, do not yep. take them down from the place of honor by examining that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let that be the wing of the house. You don't go into. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I agree to all the points. Mm-hmm. You know, I eventually found an effective method of doing combat. And actually, like, that part of it, that bit of prose reminds me of The Surge, too, where it's like, I ended up finding a very effective strategy mm-hmm. that was pretty repetitive Yeah, for a lot of it. Um, and, like, effective <clears throat> but repetitive is never, like, a great feeling. Yeah. It's, like, an interesting thing, too, because, like, when that comes up, people, there's, like, kind of two schools. They're like, yes, that's a flaw. And then there are people who are like, well, it could be more interesting if you make it more interesting. And I don't know where, you know, it's on a game to game basis where I come down on that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, Alex says, uh, via Nova Scotia, 
the Prince of Persia games all have their flaws to separate degrees, as the show rightly points out. For me, what really puts them in a class by themselves, one, primarily in the sands of time, is a feeling that I can't really describe, that I'm not just navigating artificial video game levels, but a real vibrant place. The fourth wall mentally falls away. I imagine a lot of this is because the architecture is such a key component of playing the game, but the feeling of organic environments uh, for me go beyond anything I've felt in the game, save for Ico and many years later playing Dark Souls 1. Uh, the other half of the magic is how awesome the wall running feels as a mechanic. It is subjective, of course, but nothing I've ever done in a video game has felt quite so good and satisfying as moving around in the Prince of Persia world and is great in all of the games in the series. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you on the second part. I think mm-hmm. that feels really good. Um, yeah. The levels do feel very artificial to me, Yeah. Um, but I think you know they feel like test chambers. But I can see, you know, not having that reaction as well. Yeah, I, I definitely felt this way back when I played it, you know, back in the day. I think I, you know, I'm an eco stan, have been, was, and mm-hmm. continue to be. Um, I think that I was hungry to look for that aspect and find that aspect in lots of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I had that notion and I was bummed when I went back to it and kind of saw how artificial it feels i don't know how recently alex has played prince of persia so i don't want to contradict them um if that yeah. was, if that was their actual actual feeling uh because yeah. there's a kernel of it there at the very least there's an attempt yeah. or a nod toward it and alex you should check out um titanfall 2 if you have not yes because that is some wall running porn that's really good yeah love titanfall 2 mm-hmm. yeah because because all the characters they they, they uh they they, they compliment me I am a battle mm-hmm. god in this world. Yeah. In Titanfall 2, I'm a Viking. To, to hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you've been promoted to savior, soldier. <laughs> um, Doug writes in via contact saying, I agree with your overall assessment of Prince of Persia in that while the combat is the game's weak point, the platforming still shines. The game, its sequels, and the 2008 entry remain the only third-person action games I can think of that specialize in this kind of parkour puzzle. The early Assassin's Creed games used some of this DNA, but have since left it behind as the series evolved. Mirror's Edge and Dying Light use parkour, but in first person, the experience remains fundamentally different than in Prince of Persia. Hearing you cover Sands of Time reminded me that this genre existed and that, as far as I know, has yet to be meaningfully revisited. Uh, there is something immensely satisfying about being given a moveset like the Prince's, being shown an objective, and challenging the player to get there from here. Yes, there are games with that same basic concept, see Celeste next month, but none that I can think of do it in this way. Do you think that there is a place in 2020 for a game like this, or is it a relic of the aughts? Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that there's, to me, the advantages you get of doing this in third person probably aren't worth the trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to me personally, like I like doing this kind of thing in first person or as a platformer more. Mm-hmm. The third person doesn't add a lot. And I think to make it work, um, there's a lot of snap to grid yeah. stuff that happens in Prince of Persia where it's like, uh, you, you know, like the, you can't jump at this point and you jump. It's not like you're controlling an avatar with like a, a varied move yeah. kind of set that reacts to the environment. It's more like, um, you know, clicking the right entry when your avatar is at the right spot to enact the environment to make you do this move almost. Yeah. So I don't know that the third person stuff adds anything to it. Like, I think I'm happier with Mirror's Edge and Dying Light and yeah. Portal and Celeste and 
Meat Boy and stuff like that, personally. What this was, like, what this evolved into, in my experience, is frustratingly modal cinematic climbing games. So things like Uncharted, things like the Tomb Raider uh, reboot, yeah. reboot kind of games where there was climbing and there was, um, you know, kind of like navigation and like trying to find your next, uh, your, your next foothold. But in the, <laughs> in the desire to make it more grounded, you know, like there's less like mm-hmm. high flying acrobatics and swinging and stuff, but that is absolutely the direction that this kind of thing went to, you know, where they could make the fact that you were clinging to a wall kind of like just dramatic enough for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, and you know, it's modal here too. It just happens to be that you are navigating some puzzles that could kill you. Uh, but you're yes. not like dealing with enemies and stuff unless you have the bats or the birds, in which case that is awful. It doesn't add anything. So yeah. I think that it kind of like went in that direction. And then that kind of play was eventually converted over into, um, like Batman style stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, largely for the better. Yeah. You know, so I don't I, I don't have a lot of particular nostalgia for that aspect of this. Yes. Like Dying Lights Parkour is much more fun to me. Mm-hmm. And that game has a lot of like that game has some of the worst writing of a video game I finished. <laughs> if not the worst yeah. writing of a video game I finished, actually. Uh-huh. But you know, the things of like get to the top of this tower, like are really fun navigation yeah. parkour challenges in that game. Mm-hmm. Um some of the most fun I've had co op. Yeah. Yeah. Um Patrick says via contact. You're absolutely right that the combat is the worst part. Deep in my, uh, deep into my repeated playthrough time, I only managed by learning how to optimize for using the instant win button as much as possible to do as little combat as possible. But the narrative framing of the game is what stuck with me through all these years. Sure, it doesn't quite hold water when you take a long look at it, but the idea that the gamey elements were partially due to the fact that the main story of the game was being related after the fact felt really fresh. Uh, and it sort of solved a time loop problem. The feeling of seeing a story come full circle has stuck with me ever since and is probably the source of one of my fondest memories uh, of the game. So I guess in conclusion, uh, Lukiam, which is the nonsense word, I believe. Kakalukiam? Yeah, I don't know. That's what he says at the end. Then it cuts to the dramatic music. Give me something to break! It's just one of those days. We're gonna take it. <laughs> um. oh geez yeah no i just i i like it as a stylistic thing i i you know if that inspired something like uh like the narration that you get in bastion cool and good mm-hmm. you know and also you don't have to poke the hole in it like you can you can choose not to you can choose to be along for the ride too yeah 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 yep yep, yep. uh moving on to the wolfenstein i told you this was a meaty one um, mm-hmm. We have Matthew who writes in via contact um, saying, I'm pursuing a career as a screenwriter on the side. And one of my favorite things uh, uh, to see done well is invisible foreshadowing and audience priming. One great example of this uh, would be in Jaws when Brody gets yelled at for almost blowing up the oxygen tank. Uh, it's setting up for the ending explosion, but at the time it just feels like it's establishing that Brody is out of his element. Wolfenstein had one of my all-time favorite examples of this in The Monkey Cat. It feels like they're trying to set up a uniquely silhouetted R2-D2 style mascot for your new HQ, plus it's just funny, it, plus it is just a funny mad scientist beat, but it pretty definitely makes the most wild 
part of the story, your character's beheading and resurrection, much easier to swallow. It's still out of left field, it is still wild, but it flies because it is an established technology. As goofy as this story is, I love the care that goes into the writing. Down with fascists, up with care and attention to detail and storytelling. You're here. Yeah. Beheading is like weirdly a theme up to that point too. Like uh, Carolyn is beheaded and her head is like put in front of you. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you don't behead uh, Frau Engel, but taking her down is absolutely beheading the Nazi foothold, you you know, in North America, you know, taking the the, the Ausmercer and stuff. You know, like that is thematically, uh, you know, appropriate as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I agreed. Um, let me see here. Uh, Matt says, I got confused because there's a Matthew and a Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt says, um, I'd like to talk about my favorite scene in the game, the courtroom sequence. While BJ was chained up in front of the judge and the prompt appears to break out and go kick some ass, I didn't question it. It's an action movie plot. Of course, the good guy main character can free himself. He's got to go dispense some justice to these Nazi assholes. I can distinctly remember thinking as I started shooting bad guys, wait, isn't BJ disabled and half dead? His exosuit was removed. Uh, How am I just running around? I very quickly dismissed it. After all, the first game starts with you leaping out of a waking coma just because bad guys were afoot. Uh, there will be some reasoning given after. He was just so mad, his legs started working. But when BJ met his mother in the adjoining room, I still didn't question it. <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll look up and realize she was never really there, but the closure will give the hero the will he needs to finish the mission. Something like that. When the gavel struck and BJ was right back in front of the judge being sentenced to death, I was genuinely shocked and horrified. I completely fell for it, even though my brain was telling me this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I really appreciate when a game can mess with genre and expectations in a way I don't see coming. I think this one works especially well because in that moment, the player wants nothing more than to break free and kick ass and the game indulges you. When we see the modern Nazi ideology from the alt-right on TV, Twitter, uh, and message boards, the government, etc., we generally can't do much about it. But don't we all imagine, in the warm quilt of our daydreams, standing against these people in a way that we know that we can't? Yeah. It's a dangerous move to pull that it was just a dream yeah. kind of thing. Uh, you know, it requires a deft hand to, uh, to, to pull it off. Uh, I think mm-hmm. they do, specifically because um, things look absolutely hopeless. And it is a further way to disempower you right before the very, very darkest moment of the story. Yeah. 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 The, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's the good part of it. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it does, it's, it's all the stuff you want. They constructed the reality up until that point mm-hmm. where like, you know, when his mom shows up, you're like, oh, it's a dream. But mm-hmm. also that she, he could, it could be a vision. Yeah. You know, he's been talking to himself. He's been, you know, it's not like the first time BJ's like hallucinated. Right. In the first game, he had dreams about Wolfenstein 3D. Right. You know, uh, so they, they give you that elastic reality that allows for mm-hmm. it, yeah, which is powerful. Yeah. And also it subverts what the game had been, you know, a lot, or at least what the new order was, you know, it's a lot of power fantasy stuff and you come in mm-hmm. and say, nope, there is a reality here. Uh, it's mm-hmm. also a mm-hmm. good move, I think. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Joseph writes via contact because you requested German listeners to write in. I thought that I'd give my two Euro cents. Um, I am a Jew born and raised in Berlin as the grandson of Auschwitz survivors. I teach German and English to, to, to school kids. You briefly talked about the weirdness of the way video games about World War II are localized to Germany. When you play the German Wolfenstein, the enemy doesn't wear swastikas, but abstract runes. They aren't called Nazis, but the regime. Similar changes were made to entire generations of World War II shooters, and each time they sparked new discussions about the culture of violence and remembrance here in Germany. 
even back in my own school days, the kids wanted to be able to shoot at and, yes, play as the Nazis, mostly because popular video games usually take the American perspective. I used to be in favor of the censorship of swastikas in video games because the last thing I want angry teen gamers to rally around is the actual markers of fascism that burned an entire branch that burned entire branches of my family tree. But when 2017 rolled around, I imported Wolfenstein 2 because the signs of the times really urged me to murder Nazis in cartoonishly violent ways, not quote the regime, but proper Nazis. And for that high, I had to go to international markets. Shortly after the release date, the German courts started to legitimize video games as an art form, and we now have the first titles actually showing swastikas, and with that, a new discussion about how art should portray history. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, thank you. It's Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because you don't want to, like, directly give people, you know, like, something to idolize, like, hey, you're going to play as the Nazis and you're going to, you know, it's going to become part of a reenactment of you know the 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 new right or new neo-nazi stuff but like even innocuous stuff or even things that are like distantly related and uh you know like man fascists are gonna find a way to fash so like look at the look at the deus vault meme or whatever that just kind of sprung up out of like crusader kings look at hearts of iron mods look at any of that really that ends up still becoming just a just a catchphrase for really really shitty people yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know where I fall on it because I don't have like, it's not like America doesn't have equally shitty skeletons in the closet. Yeah. They just don't make video games about killing slave owners. Right. You know, I wish they did. Uh huh. You know, I'd like, be down. <laughs> if, yeah. Like if we had that discussion about like whether, you know, we could show a Confederate flag in a game, mm-hmm. you know, or whether, um, you know, things like that, I think that would be useful and interesting mm-hmm. um and uh, experiencing that but it is you know just the the american perspective being kind of the default for a lot of media yes uh does make you know that's what makes joseph's perspective here really like valuable and interesting yeah and i i kind of see both sides of it. you know i kind of see it a little bit mm-hmm. like i understand you know that point like fash is going to find a way to fash at the same time like depending on how young the kid is like it could yeah i don't know yeah. yeah. Like kids, kids are in school days going outside pretending to be Nazis. Like, I don't think I'd feel great about that. No, no. Uh, you know, so yeah. I don't know what the answer is for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I similarly am. I can, I can, I can see both interpretations of it. Yeah. You don't want to make it easy for them. You know? No. I know that if like I had kids and they were again, pretending to be like civil war, you know, Confederate soldiers, mm-hmm. like I'd have a real problem with it, but we just don't, our, our history, like our black markets of history just don't have the same pop cultural impact. Right. You know? Yeah. It's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but g- give me that game. Give me that Wolfenstein where all you do is kill plantation owners. Yeah. You know, like, or, or just like not even Wolfenstein, just fucking give me that game. Yeah. Give like me- I have a lot of anger. <laughs> like, let's get it out in lots yeah. of different ways. Like, you know, I don't like racist. Uh-huh. Yeah, give me uh, what is it? Give me John Brown and a and a Gundam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> can't can't own another human being and be a good person. Yeah, sorry, not okay. It doesn't matter when it happened. No, can't own a person. Mm-hmm. Um, no owning people. Uh, finally, uh, Guilam uh, says via contact. Um, this is edited down just a little bit, so apologies for that. Uh, just because it was long, but it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to defend the game's bona fides as a shooter. 
really disagree with the near consensus that it's a great game, but it's not a good shooter because in terms of pure game feel, it's one of my absolute favorites in the genre. It solves every problem I had with New Order's combat and is generally tuned exactly how I want a man shoot uh, to be. Every new Wolfenstein, starting with 2001's Return, has had me constantly low-key annoyed by the enemies having too much health and not flinching enough when hit. And new Colossus finally gets both of those right. I mean, yeah, the courtroom battle is not good, but that seems more like an encounter design blip than an indictment of the shooting mechanics. Yeah, there are too many ammo depots and war factories, but I do think there are especially good ammo depots and war factories, even just for the sound design. There's some utterly phenomenal placement and interplay of machine sounds, and the soundscapes they create are elaborate, impressive, and sometimes terrifying. I assume this was a Mick Gordon thing, since it was an unsung strength of Doom uh, 2016, but apparently they're unrelated audio teams. I really appreciate the game's uh, significant reduction in on-screen atrocities. Compared to the New Order, we spent a lot less time watching unarmed extras being murdered. It's not like this absence of asylum and prison massacres ends up accidentally giving the Nazis a clean uh, Vermock uh, makeover, uh, because the game is far less coy than its predecessor about the anti-Semitism and racism that drives the entire thing. But I'm happy about the game as a whole. It's very good. I hope you get a third chapter and that Youngblood is just a diversion rather than something they were mandated to make instead. I'm just a bit paranoid because Youngblood came out at a similar time as Fallout 76, and I'm worried this could signal Bethesda trying to go full games of service. Doom Eternal also has far more online stuff than anyone asked for. I guess by the time you're reading this, we'll know whether that's to the detriment of its single-player campaign. Here's hoping it is not. Don't know, because yeah, I, I haven't read the takes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, have not read the takes, and I have not played Doom Eternal yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always hard to like. It's really hard to, to rectify this kind of stuff because, like, I I felt like the enemies in New Glosses are very bullet spongy, yeah, and didn't react enough to being hit. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's just a, a different experience thing. So there's yeah. no real way to, you know, I'm happy to have the the perspective for sure. It just wasn't my experience. Yeah. No, I was going to address that too. You know, especially when they start throwing more heavily armored guys in uh, into the mix-ups. You know, just as it shifts yeah. over from being you know, regular guards and things like that, um, you just end up emptying whole clips into people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's uh, for, for, for me, it was really hard to overlook the thematic sameness to see the wireframe of the levels as anything but yeah. hallways, you know? Yeah. So it's tough. So, like, I, I buy it. I'm glad that uh, Gwilin had that, that experience. Mm-hmm. With that, um, but it was, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't on my experience. Yeah, and I also hope that they are working on the conclusion to this trilogy. I would like to know. Oh, very much. Yeah, I would uh, like to know more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like absolutely day and date purchase. Love it. Um, yeah, so thanks everybody for writing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the deadline is always the fifteenth of the month. So if you have anything to say about maze games, mm-hmm. uh, the deadline is May fifteenth. Maze games like Pac Man and nope, oh Rally X. Uh, okay. And- <laughs> Nope. Uh, games like the uh, Celeste, uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, and Resident Evil 3 Remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you have thoughts about June's games, the uh, deadline is June the 15th at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Um, and those games are Dreamfall, The Longest Journey, Crash Bandicoot mm-hmm. 2, and Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. Yeah. Weird month, uh-huh. but I'm excited <laughs> Me too. Uh, for it. Uh, Dreamfall and Crash are both uh, listener responses. We put Order of Ecclesia mm-hmm. on the board because it's been a while since we've done a Castlevania. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that I most frequently feel the desire to revisit. I love Order of Ecclesia, Same. Gary. Me too. Yeah. It's that and Dawn of Sorrow, but Order of Ecclesia has a better story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it more. Yes. So uh, don't give me this Neo-Tokyo horseshit <laughs> ever. 
ever. Yes, please. Ever. Um, if you like the show, if you want to, uh, so the Ordia Ecclesia will be our premium episode. Mm-hmm. If you want the premium episode on uh, the new Colossus that we did, the way you get that is by being a patron. Mm-hmm. If you go to patreon.com slash TV, you can support your boys and you can uh, get a bunch of bonus stuff. Uh, you can also leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Um, tell your friends. Write about us on mm-hmm. social media and things like that. We always appreciate when people help spread the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably about it. I think so. Yeah. So uh, until next time, take care. Take care. Good night.